0: Australia in four, the United States in five. Off,
1: Mackenzie at the bottom, Stubbins above her, Schlanger in sixth, into the yellow line, Henry. We start, mules got into the water quickly, but so did Joyce, was short of Germany,
0: was away well. They'll
1: go to the wall all together, pick that one. Bloomer, in fact, ahead of Manuel and Hirsch Emanja.
0: What a shot! Peterson stamps her authority on another 200 press goal. Now Henry is starting to come out. Jodie Henry of Australia shading Jenny Thompson, has taken the lead here. The Australians have only won this race once. It was with Dawn Fraser in 1956, Henry's moving away. She's going to win it for Australia. This has been a remarkable last league.
1: Jodie Henry is going to bring Australia home for what will be a yes! victory. <laughs> and welcome to the third episode of the Shannon Rollison podcast as I introduce the man himself, Olympic and World Championship winning coach and the star of this podcast, Mr. Shannon Rollison. Shannon, mate, how are you going? Very good, Robbie. It's been a, a good week. I enjoyed the footy on the weekend. So, Yeah, it was a good game, wasn't it? Uh, who did you tip going in? Uh, Penrith, only because they just
0: beat the beloved Parramatta Eels. But, Mm. uh, yeah, I I was just impressed with how they came back and beat Melbourne, you know, like after that Parramatta game. and, And I thought, oh, well, they won't be able to beat Melbourne, you know, being fresh.
1: And then they did. And then I thought,
0: oh, boy, you know. So it was a great game, great final series, really.
1: Mm. I think um, just from an outsider looking in, and obviously, you know, we, we're here to talk about swimming most often, but, you know, we're footy nuts so we talk about that as well. But if I was ever to pick the brain of Ivan Cleary and, you know, that football team, it would be more around that sort of mental toughness and grit because I, I think that's what they've found over the, the last few years, isn't it? Like, as you said, that's what won me over was that Melbourne game. They probably shouldn't have won it, to be honest, but they were tough, they were gritty. Um, they stayed in it. Even you look at that grand final and how many of them were busted. It's come out that the fullbacks had a broken foot and, yeah. you know, just how mentally tough they were.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, you couldn't be anything else but impressed with them. You know, they're, they're certainly, you know, not one of my top three or four teams as, as you know, teams that I, I like or anything, but you, you got to tilt your hat to them. Um, they were sensational and they've actually, they've just got better at tackling, haven't they? Like, Mm. they can hold a team out for, you know, I mean, as they did with Parra, you know, the whole second half, half of the first half.
1: Yeah, Very well, I, yeah. I don't want to get bogged down in rugby league because we can talk about it all day. And if anyone listens to this podcast who doesn't love rugby league, they could start switching off. But you know, you talk about defense—that's that, what you know. Just have, how they pinned them down in in mm. their own area. They, you know, they didn't let the bunnies out of that, you know, thirty, their their yeah. forty meter or whatever it was, and they were ruthless with that. Like that was from the beginning to the end. Yeah, um, and I think that field position definitely played its part. Now, mate, another you know common theme here on the show we like to mention. And we like to get into see how you're going with your lawn. Has it started to come through yet? Are you still working? Have you given up on it? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I'm not allowed to get give up on it because uh, Elsbeth keeps reminding me of it every day. the dog. is just he's trying to re- bring the dirt onto the deck. <laughs> so I can't get enough grass down fast enough. But good news is, it is. Uh, it's all coming through. And we've had some rain of the last week and uh, it's warming up here in Canberra. So uh,
1: I'm on the right, I'm on the home stretch, I reckon. I'll even be able to bring the mower out by the weekend. Oh, oh, look out. Here we go. We're starting to see some progress. Uh, yeah, but talking about the weather, mate, keep an eye out down there. I know there was a bloody tornado in Bathurst and there's been tornado sighting in, in Victoria. So you just never know where these tornadoes are coming up.
0: Oh, absolutely. Dog get thrown Taken up 300
1: meters or something. It got in Bathurst. Yeah, near Bathurst, I think. I I didn't hear that, but yeah, no, crazy times. You never thought you'd hear tornadoes in Australia, but (laughs) everything's happening here. Now, let's get to today's podcast, mate, which is all about your time coaching in Denmark. Which, you know, whilst I know a lot of coaches probably know you were over there, I dare say only the Uber fans have a detailed knowledge of, of what you actually achieved as a coach. In your time over there so i'm really excited to go through this one with you because i feel like a lot of the listeners are going to be getting these stories for the first time which is what i love about this podcast mate we are genuinely doing things that aren't being done on any other swimming podcast my own off the blocks included you know we're talking about things that not a lot of people have um how excited were you to be going through this one today and reliving your time in, in denmark
0: yeah it's, uh, it's it's a good exercise we um you know, it it's, brings back a lot of good memories. Um, got a lot of good friends still, um, that I keep in touch with. And, um, it's funny, you had to really think hard about the things that you didn't like, of the things that you know, and I'll, I'll get into that as we, we chat. But, um, it's funny when you look back on things, you just remember the good times, you know. So, um, but uh, it was a great experience, uh, and one that I certainly. You know, look back. I I mean, I think I've said it before. I think I did my best coaching um, there, and uh, that's not to say I didn't haven't coached well before or since. But I just think it was a whole amalgamation of things coming together. Um, And I certainly, whether the Danes did this on purpose or not, but um, you know, if you look at my career, I've definitely been stronger coaching females and um you know when they, they they sent me an email um asking if i was interested in the job whether by design or not that they got the right person because it was a female predominantly um, squad they had so uh, it was really good yeah
1: <clears throat> well mate to tie it into last week's podcast where we spoke about jody henry and you know we mentioned that jody called you on your last day down at the IAS before you, you moved on. Talk yeah. to us about that decision that led up to you moving on from the AIS to Denmark.
0: Yeah, so um, I, I had a contract um, that went through to 2016 and I'd had that since 2010. So the AIS were fantastic. I loved working at the AIS. Um. And I come back from London and uh, was coaching on deck and um, in meetings and things like that, all pretty usual. And I got an email um, from Denmark, which I, funny enough, I, I did a uh, a talk in 2000, late 2008 or early 2009 in Denmark on swimming. And Peter Fricker, who's um, – yeah, my boss. He he only allowed me to go. I think he actually said to me, "I'm only allowing you to go because it's Denmark," you know. <laughs>
2: um,
0: so uh, off I went. And um, anyway, so I get this email and National Training Centre head coach. Um, would I be interested? Blah 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 blah. And wrote a nice um, thanks, but no thanks type. Uh, Ellen and I briefly talked about it, but. Um, then I went into these meetings and I, I, you go into these meetings that they say, oh, it's a blank piece, it's a blank canvas, we start again. And that always meant they'd already come up with the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice way of saying this is what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and um, winning edge was, you know, there was, was being spoken of, um, all these changes in the reaction to the London Olympics. Um, you know, we as a program, um, swimming program, had a had a good meet. You know, we could have won one or two more medals, but Alicia Coots had just won five medals with John Fowley, uh, so which was just the most since um, Shane Gould. Mm. And um, and you know, the rhetoric was like, would. Yeah, that didn't happen. And, um, so I wasn't really liking what I was hearing or, you know, where it was going. Someone had said to me in a meeting, oh, Shannon, you know, you, you we'll put you anywhere in the country. And I was a big believer in the AIS. Um, you know, I, I, maybe i put too much pressure on myself at times, but I felt the responsibility of that program had to work for Australia, you know, for Australian swimming. And, um, Anyway, I came out I was talking with Elle, and that and then probably about two weeks after I got that initial email from Denmark I got, got it again, and I thought, you know what I'm, I'm going to look into this yeah. um, so I got back to them and said that I was interested and um, um, and I'd had a conversation with Elsbeth and stuff, and then they said, um, "Can you come over for a for an interview and so we agreed on that. So I had to, I did it on a long weekend, and I had to ask for a day off work. And I, I hadn't had a day off work my whole time at the AIS. And uh, and Lee Nugent knew Denmark were chasing me, and uh, Mike McGovern, who was my line manager, he knew that as well. But anyway, Mike didn't say anything. Didn't ask. Probably thought it was, you know, old history or something. So anyway, um. I took a day off. It was like the Friday off, and the Monday was the public holiday. I flew out Thursday, and I was back at work on on Tuesday. I was I was in the air longer than I was on the ground in Denmark. It's
1: uh, so a pity Zoom wasn't around back then, mate. Yeah. Well, there <laughs> there was um what would have been
0: around back then. There was something. Skype? Because, yeah, that's it. We did we did a Skype. The initial one was Skype. And it was just before Christmas. And then off that, they, they really wanted, they were pretty keen, and um, but they wanted to do, do an interview in person. And I was, the Skype meeting was with Mikkel, who is the the manager of the swim program for the Federation. So in Denmark, the entire swimming is under the Federation, anything to do with water, actually, so life-saving water polo everything comes under the one umbrella and pia holman was the boss so basically i had to go to denmark and if she liked the way i walked um and talked then i was going to get the job so uh, or get offered the job anyway so um and also in that interview charlotte who was team denmark so team denmark she was number two in Team Denmark, and Team Denmark is their Olympic. Um, so they look after all the Olympic sports.
1: Mm. So, yeah. no, I'm interested just obviously more from a, you know, a personal standpoint, you know, I'm a coach myself, obviously for the listeners who, who already know, and I've got a family, you know, you mentioned the conversations with Elle. What, what was that like, you know, because this is a big decision. What, what were sort of factors going into that?
0: Yeah, so um, we talked about it and, you know, um, she's from Milmerin, which is west of Toowoomba. And um, so she grew up on a farm, boarded in Toowoomba, and then we met in 1997. And if you listen to last week, 1997 is a pivotal year. Of, <laughs> I was thinking about this. A lot happened in 1997 for me. <laughs> um and anyway, so we started dating in 97. I started making teams in 1995. So by the time this conversation came around, I, I'd been travelling the world, fortunately, for 17 years. And um, uh, Elle had been, I think she kept, when I came over to a Mare once with us, um, but basically hadn't done a lot of travelling. and She likes it. Anyway, we talked about it. I went and did the interview. Uh, it's quite funny. Um in the interview they said they had this diva. And you know, how would I handle a diva? And um I said, ah, oh, would be no problems, you know, blah blah blah. And I'd I'd had uh you know, some of those alpha females athletes in the past and things. Anyway, when I got home I said, El, what's a diva? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
0: um and she was pretty keen. Elle was pretty keen. And um, I, I, was, I said, All right, well, so they said that they would have an offer for me by the time I got home, and they did. And it was about the same as the AIS, which was pretty good. But, you know, I was, had a, had a um, you know, uh, a job to 2016 years, so everything was pretty secure, and we were happy with that. Anyway, and I said to Elle, I said, "Oh well, doesn't look like we'll take it." You know. Anyway, and there's this this silence, and we were in the kitchen, and she was doing some cooking and stuff, and I was in the sort of family room off the kitchen, and I thought, "She's got the system. <laughs>
2: And
0: I said, "What's up?" And she said, "Nothing." <laughs> I thought, "Oh boy, what am I down here?" I said, "Come on, you said." You know, it had to be better. And she said, oh, you're not even trying to get this job. And I, was, and I said, oh, well, you know, I am, but, you know, they've got ageing athletes, yada, yada, yada. And she said, oh, don't you think you can coach them? I said, yeah, I can coach them, but I'm just saying, this is a big step and blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, I could just tell she really wanted to go. Mm. And um, so we wrote back to them and they came back with a counter offer. And it was
1: a very good one, and we went. well, we're going to Denmark. So, yeah. Man, I she love really that. Wanted- I love that she was. She was without even saying it. You know, that just reminded me of what happens in my own home. So I can <laughs> definitely relate to that. Oh, she's. I'm in trouble. I don't know why yet, but I'm. I'm sure I'll find out. Um, it's something that's sort of understated, though, isn't it? And and I guess um, as coaches, probably our, our partners don't get enough. Uh, credit, you know, for the time and the energy that they put in, and and as you mentioned, not so much for this trip because obviously you know else was keen to to get over there, but even the the years before with you traveling all around the world, and sometimes you know the partners don't get enough credit, do they, for you know keep holding down the fort and allowing us to to do what we do as coaches? Because let's be honest, there's more time away from home than there is at home.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, she's been the backbone of my career. You know, um, and I remember my average days away when I worked at the AIS was seven, mid seventies. The most I ever was away was two thousand and eight, um, and that was one hundred and ten days. So you know, um, Ethan was born in O six months before Athens uh, very late 03 Ava was born in 07. So, you know so it's 110 days away in 08 and my daughter you know was turning one in know you know mm. and, and so my son was five and, and you know coaches oh when you're away that whatever you do at home and running around and helping, then someone's missing, and you know. Um, sometimes over the years, I've heard on more than one occasion that, oh well, you know, it's a privilege to be going overseas. Well, that may be so, but someone else is back at home, and um, you know, Jody talked to me because you know she's in that um, well-being space now with athletes, and they're starting to now. That's starting to go into coaches and stuff. Um, and, you know, we, we sat down at the event camp and had a chat. And uh, the first thing I said was, Joe, if, you, if you're going to talk about coach well being, then there has to be family well being because if the family's not right, you're not going to coach well. Um, so then it's the partners. You've got to look after the partners when you're away.
1: Mm. So yeah mate 100 you've hit the nail on the head and it's a team effort 100 percent. and obviously mm. you know you guys are coaching at a far greater level than than i do but I, I certainly know what sort of effort goes on around my own home when i'm out coaching and you know we're up in the morning we're out late at night we don't get home till late and yeah um it, it's certainly a, a team effort that's for sure so i just wanted to make sure we bring that to light because i don't think uh it, it gets spoken about nearly enough certainly on podcasts that's for sure now you mentioned there, obviously, you got the counter offer. Um, it looked pretty good, obviously, by by your uh, facial expressions when you were saying you got the counter offer back. Take me through the process from there. What what happens after that?
0: Yeah, so it all happened pretty quick. And like I say, you know, it's funny. Whenever I've travelled, I've always thought, what would it be like to live in wherever I am? You know, and so I've always, and what would it be like to coach? In this place. And it's just, I've just got an inquiring mind. And, um, and but it was never like, in, in this year, we're going to do this and we're going to go overseas. Like, yeah. it was never that rock solid. But it all happened fast. The next, you know, next minute I'm in the office at AIS, I, uh, I resign. Um, there was probably a time, <clears throat> there's probably about, a, I remember a day where I, I was upset about it. Because not that I was leaving, I was upset that I could see what was happening in swimming in the sport. I was upset that people didn't really care. Um, and Rosemary Good, who's the, the swim manager, so she was like my direct, the, the day-to-day, the bookings, everything, and and, um, and she, she, she's, you know, been around in sports and Canberra cannons and basketball and all sorts of stuff and knows everyone here in Canberra and, and, uh, AIS and stuff. And, and we'd spoken about it and, and she just said, if you stay, you'll just die on the vine, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and that was upsetting. But, um, anyway, off I went and the next minute I'm in, in the plane, I can still remember, yeah, you sort of got to pinch yourself. Yeah, you know, I was flying out, um, and we done all did all the visa stuff, and, and I was I was out in, within not not long at all. It was it was like end of January. I was so the so the ninth, tenth. I was in, doing the interview in Denmark, which was so cold that weekend, <laughs> um, and um, by the end of the beginning of February, I, I was working. In Denmark. Mm. So all happened pretty quick. So yeah, actually that interview when they were showing me around, they we were down near the harbor and we were only out for about five, six minutes. And they were saying, Oh, you could live here and you could live there and that sort of stuff. And I could feel I was getting pretty cold. And and I'm looking at the, the guy I was with, and he's he didn't even have a beanie on. <laughs> and i am kitted up. And I, had, I said, before my jaw locked, I said, well, we've got to go back inside because I'm finding it hard to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't think, once I told that story to Elspeth, I thought, oh, well, she's not going to want to go, but, yeah.
1: No, she was keen. And that, I mean, that's saying something too, because I know Canberra can be quite cold, certainly through winter in those mornings yeah. and nights. So for you for you to be saying it's cold over there, oh. uh, it must have been very, very frosty. Now, obviously, the, the National Training Centre is is where you're headed to. Talk to me about that when you first sort of got there. Obviously, you might have got a bit of a tour through beforehand, but when you first sort of get in and, and you're sort of settling in, planning your feet, what was that process like? What, what was it like there? Was it different or similar to, to what you'd seen at the AIS? <laughs> no, it was nothing like the AIS.
0: It was, I actually remember, um, it was, a, it was an, a very nice facility. Uh, it had an indoor 50, had a dive pool behind it. So it reminded me of Chandler. Um, I had four lanes, uh, but the outlook was much nicer than Chandler because it was all glass at one end. And um I had a big open pool uh, and grass area. And at the time when I landed, it was just covered in snow. I thought, wow, I've never coached in a pool looking out to snow. So I took a photo, sent that home. And um, but basically it was just the Chandler setup, um, but the gym wasn't as good as what I had at Chandler. So the gym, the, the gym was the size of a single-car garage. And I had I could have twelve athletes. I think I had a I had eleven, um, and I couldn't fit all eleven in the gym at once. So to come up with these different exercises, to, so I had this sort of rotational thing going um, for our gym. So had to be quite innovative in that. And uh, but yeah, apart from apart from that, um, you had to take your shoes off. And yeah, you know, yeah, you to have indoor shoes and outdoor shoes, and that's because of yeah, the Danes, were they didn't like over-chlorinating their pool, so you had to take your shoes off, um, you had to have indoor shoes, and you had to shower before you got in the pool as well. Um, but apart from that, it was all pretty much the same. We shared the the centre with our public, and we also shared it with um, a
1: couple of swim programs. Um, it's funny you say that they had to shower before they got in. Um, if you look around on pool deck here in Australia, there are actually signs that say you need to shower before you get in. Mm. It's just nobody actually does it. But it's good to see over there they're enforcing the rules. Yeah, very, very um, rule oriented
0: Danes. And um, I remember I was driving to work in the snow and it was early hours and it was coming down and I remember having to stop at this small crossing because this lady had pushed the button and was waiting there in the snow for the lights to change. And I thought that wouldn't have happened in Australia. <laughs> 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 because she could have easily passed, gone across before I got there. But anyway, but they're sticklers for rules, Danes. And um, remember, uh, when, we were, when, when Elle and the kids got over, because got we were at Copenhagen's is what they call Sealand um and so that's the island and then at the time it was built was the world's biggest bridge and uh and Jutland comes up out of Germany in Hamburg and then you have this small island in the middle called Fun where Rega was from anyway so this island the first time we went over we're going over to Legoland and now Lego and Danes are synonymous and uh I'm reaching for my wallet, and I said to Elle, I said, how much is this cost? And she said, uh, 100 and, <laughs> 130 krona. And she, she still hadn't worked out. I'd been there for a few months before they, they came, and she hadn't worked out. I said, no, no, it can't, it can't be that, it can't be that. You know, no, no, you're looking at the wrong sign. No, no, it's 130 krona. That's like like around $30 Australian. One way on a toll, mm. like people in Brisbane won't pay six bucks <laughs> to go under that river, yeah, yeah. Anyway, when I got back, that yeah, you know, I was talking to Stefan, who was my assistant coach, about the weekend and that. And I said, Oh, about the toll, he goes, Yeah, it's just how it is. That was one of their favorite sayings. If something wasn't real, good, if they didn't really agree with something, they'd just go, That's just how it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh mate that just yeah that reminds me when we went to europe um spain and portugal and italy and yeah some of those in spain some of those highways were yeah about 35 or you know something euros and yeah for me it was like what the hell but mm. anyway uh yeah that's just how it is as they say mate now um, as you said you know you've, you're settling in over there we'll, and we'll get to some of the superstars you, you coached over there because I, I think that's important as well as i mentioned i think a lot of the listeners uh, might not know or you know what you achieved over there so we'll get to that in a second in terms of like the local you know competitions and swim clubs talk to me about that what what did you see when you were over there in your experience it was it di- how was it different sorry to, to what happens here in australia
0: yeah so people might not may not realize that swimming's a very big sport in in denmark um the, there's only five million danes which is about the size of what sydney um, it's, as a country, it's about the size of Victoria. Um, swimming, golf, I think in participation terms, when I arrived there, they were like the number three sport and then it became the number two sport in, in participation and numbers. Um, and the clubs are massive. Like a small club in Denmark it was around 600. Wow a large club, which was the club that was using the facility at Bellahoy um, where I was coaching, um, 6,000. That's a lot. Yeah. And so it's it's right from learn to swim all the way through, right through the, to their masters. And how they'd set up their coaches, like to say um, you were coaching the top group, you'd be the head coach. And then the the people who are coaching the, the next group would be number one coach and then they just refer to them as number two coach and they might have, I'm number five coach. Mm. And number five coach might be coaching the eight and nine-year-olds and they break it up like that. So, um, Robbie, you're coaching the 11 and 12s and when that swimmer turns 13, then they move to number three coach Shannon and Shannon's coaching the 13 and 14-year-olds. Mm. And that's, it's very, very structured. Um, it's like their lane space and all that. You, you walk in, um, uh, lane six and seven is, is for public at seven o'clock and right on the dot, they dive in. You've got to be out. Like there's no five minutes here, five minutes there. So it's all very structured like that. Um, and then the other thing that is different, they have divisions, a bit like soccer. So they have Division One, Division Two, Division Three, it goes right out. I'm sure it goes out to like Division Six and things like that. So um, and at the I think it's around about March, which isn't a great time of year for international coaching. Um, but around March they have this, the big championship day. So Division One would be at Bellahoy, which is you know, in Copenhagen, the number one pool. But Division 2 might be in another city, uh, Aarhus or something like that. So the top eight clubs are all competing on that day. And over in another city, the Division 2 is. And, you know, Division 6 might be up in Herning somewhere, you know. And they all swim off and it's a points score. So they use FINA points. Um, And the top two clubs... Um, or I should say, the top, the bottom two clubs drop down, and the mm. top
1: two clubs move up. What have reminded you of your Brisbane days, mate.
0: Yeah, um, but even but it's just a one off meet, all right? And um, and then what they'll do? So so I had eleven or twelve swimmers in my group. So I just here's an example: as Sarah Bro. So Sarah ended up going to the Olympics. She was. 17, I think, when I started coaching her. So she, she wasn't on any teams up until that, point when I started with her. She was kind oh, of back to 13 or something like that. Um, and freestyle, she wasn't a bad freestyle. She ended up going to Olympics for free. But when I started, she was like 57, 58 for 100 free. She had a sponsor. So Everybody in my squad had, had a sponsor. Yeah. And that sponsor may have been, yeah, obviously larger and smaller, but a club would sponsor an athlete. And the the swimmers would move around. Like, so I think Janetta, she was in, each each year I coached her, she was in a different uh, club. And um, so if if a club needed a backstroker, they would, that coach would approach, and and the committee or the president, whoever, they would approach, say, all right, you know, we need a backstroker, Sarah, we'll pay for your training fees or Sarah, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a kit, equipment, blah, 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 togs, whatever. Or it might be that plus some money, mm. depending on who you were, you know. Um, because when you did these swims, you could only swim in certain events, number of swims plus relays. So like Rega in 2014, Rega was swimming for herning but she wasn't doing breaststroke for Herning. She was doing 400 IM, 200 IMs, things like that. Because um, Herning had a decent breaststroker,
1: but they had no one in the in the IMs. So, um, does that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's definitely yeah. very different from what we've got here in Australia, for sure.
0: Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I, I I didn't like it for its timing. That was the only thing I was against because I uh, could get to it later, but. Uh, But the concept I really liked, and I liked the fact that um, you know swimmers were you know swimming for different clubs, and and there wasn't this. um, It was just different. Yeah, and and lower ranked swimmers could get something out of swimming, financially or equipment wise.
1: Now, mate, the other thing I want to touch on, obviously people that listen to this podcast are going to be coaches or, you know, swimming nuts that want to know about programming and stuff like that. No doubt you going over there, you know, people learn a lot from you and and your knowledge and your programming. What did you learn from from the locals there in terms of their programming? What did you pick up? What did you take away? What did you see that was different from, you know, what you'd learned here in Australia? Yeah, so very... um, I remember
0: the first thing that comes to mind when I went to my first swim meet that you looked at the pool deck and it, it was just, it was unbelievable. Like everyone was moving. it had been no good if you had Tourette's or something, you know. <laughs> like, no one was just sitting around doing nothing. The swimmers were, yeah, they were doing calisthenics. They were chatting and talking, but they were just moving all the time. And even up in Sweden, it was similar. So I don't know if it was a Scandinavian thing or, um, but, and very, very fit. As a society, uh, like, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't feel fit at all. Um, and uh, everyone was in a club. Everyone's doing something. Um, and swimming-wise, very work-orientated. Like there was things that I saw up in Denmark that I, that I hadn't seen since the 80s. Like in the 80s, you know, I was at Karina Chandler. Um, and then Laurie Lawrence was on the other side. He had five lanes and he'd run the grandstands with the swimmers. Mm. They would all run the grandstands. Well, you're not allowed to run the grandstands now. But in Denmark, they'd run the grandstands and be lifting med ball weights and stuff, you know? And like just, um, uh, yeah, accidents, you know, oh, well, that's just an accident. Mm. It's not someone's fault. You know, they, 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 it was a society that, it, it, and I don't know if it's different now, but certainly up until that point, um, suing and all of that just didn't go on, you yeah. know. Um, so there was a lot of older stuff that I saw, very much work, work, work. Um, and I remember, you know, if you lost the race, you just didn't try hard enough. Yeah, you know, so it's very much try harder mentality, um, and I, all the language swimming so capacities which um, is all talked about. So anaerobic, aerobic, and power, and all of that sort of terminology. The thing though, they so they do a lot of their aerobic capacity work, but it, but they give a thousand fly. Like they didn't adjust. And, and consequently, they didn't have many flyers at all as a nation, um, and uh, so yeah, it saw certainly different things. Language was different. Um, intensity is which is what I sort of brought to the program, and um, so that was new, uh, which which was good for my, the older swimmers in the group because it, it was new. You know, that was something fresh, um, but. Um, certainly are willing to work uh there was there was no problem with that um and and then the other thing um the whole you know with with rega like um i remember like she'd ride a bike in the snow and, and you know not there just wasn't the sort of money um and everyone just didn't have cars so you know that sort of thing that which, which was different it was a um it's just a, it's just like going back in time a little bit but in, in a good way
1: yeah it's very european isn't it to ride the bike around i know when i was in france for a while uh, one of um you know those towns strasbourg i was in but yeah everyone's just riding bikes it's like, oh, where yeah. are we going? We aren't over there. How far is it? About 20 minutes. How are we getting there? Hop on the bike. Well, look at yeah. me. I'm not an athlete. So, you know, bloody hell, by the time I got there, I needed a drink. That's for sure. Uh, they talked to me about how the swimmers were different. Did you see any differences? And we're going to mm. get to some of them, uh, as I said, you know, the co- swimmers that you coached. But in terms of just general across the board, did you see them any differently? Were they a little bit more laid back? What were they like as athletes?
0: Yeah, so, so they had that mentality, and obviously probably from the coaches, you know, just try harder. Um, so I brought in a different perspective with that. But they were very, like, Danish, and this was at the time, so things may have changed, but the Danes were the tallest nation in the world for their men and the second tallest with women to, behind the Netherlands. Very athletic. And I was really impressed. And I remember Tom um, was saying... Oh, if you think Danes are fit, you should see the Norwegians, because um, they have a sugar tax up there. So, uh, but um, yeah, the, the, for, as athletes, I, they're just impressive with their just and, and just as a society in, in general, quite fit. But what I noticed, you know, when we go into the gym, like I had a distance from a pal, and He was actually from the Faroe Islands. Well, if he sniffed a weight, he he put on muscle, like. And the girls were the same. Regan, not so much. Um, so I wouldn't say at all, but, you know, Penilla and Janetta and, and a couple of the others, um, like, like they just responded to, to doing gym work or any sort of weights work and stuff like that. So I don't know if it was part of their diet or a lot of fish or something, but that, just the responsiveness was really, really um, had an impact on me.
1: Now, mate, my last question, just in terms of just settling in over there and what you observe before we get into the swimmers, is. And i'm only asking this from you know a selfish perspective just for myself if i ever wanted to go coach overseas what what was it like settling into a a new environment was there a bit of compromise on your end to have to kind of fit into this the systems around you or you know was it more okay this is what i'm bringing into your system so we're going to adopt a bit of that was it a bit of compromise how did you fit in and and sort of you know, from a personal perspective, how long did it take you before you felt really comfortable, like, okay, I've settled in here, I've got my bearings?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when, when I uh, – I've been coaching Jenny Johansson um, for a couple of years. She'd come and do lots of work with me between '08 and 12. And um, after the Olympics, so Jenny came, came down, she was in Canberra, she wanted to talk to me about coming more permanently, um, and I said, "Oh, we, we better have a chat." So we went for a coffee, and I said to Jenny, "I said, Jen, I'm not going to be here. I'm, yeah, you, know, you got to keep this quiet, but I'm going to Denmark." And yeah, you know, she's a sweet. And um, she was like, "Oh, that's fantastic, you know." And anyway, so I asked her for a, some advice, and I said, "You know, because once I d- decided on going, I then had to try and find out." Because, you know, when you're in Australia, like, and you're coaching on deck, you know, so I was in Brisbane and I know what Ken does with his guys and, and, you know, know, what does Bowley do and and what does Dennis do? You've got some reference stuff. But when you go overseas, you're going in blind. Yeah. And, and, um, so one, I didn't know the athletes. Two, I didn't know what they'd been doing. So I had to find out all this sort of stuff. Anyway, and I, in the conversation, you know, I, I was asking her that, those sorts of things, and she she knew um, certainly some stuff. And um, but she said it was really good advice. And she said, "Shannon, they want you got the job because of what you've done. They want you to bring that to them." Yeah. And I thought, "Yeah, that's, that's really good." So then, so that's that's what I went with the intention to do. Um, so so I did reverse periodization when I went there, um, but the first month I just sat back and watched, um, and and watched how they interacted with each other and did, and um, with the you know the assistant coach um, at the time. And uh, so that was good. We were coming up to a swim meet, and then off that swim meet. Um, about eighteen weeks to the world champs, and, and and I went. All right, well, if they want Shannon Rolson and here's a perfect time, and and off we went with reverse periodization, which was completely foreign to them. Um, but um, the and, and some people embraced it, and and other people took. you know, I'm not quite sure about this. I'll give it a go. Um, yeah.
1: No, it's well, yeah, mate, that's great advice. And that's, yeah, for all the, as I said, the coaches out there who might be looking for a change or we're, you know, heading somewhere else or things like that. Um, just to, you know, I think that's perfect advice. If someone's bringing you in, they're bringing you in because they want your knowledge. But yeah, I, I definitely, um, wanted to check for that reason. Like it could clearly can be daunting heading to a brand new foreign country, uh, with, you know, brand new language, all that sort of stuff. And, trying to understand, you know, where you fit into that. But obviously, you know, as you said, once you got your feet on the ground, you were ready to rumble. I want to talk about a few of the swimmers now. Now we've got obviously some events we're going to cover and all that sort of stuff, but I wanted to make sure we covered some of these um, athletes that you coached while you're over there. That, as I said, I don't know how many of the listeners today actually know what you did while you're over there, and I wanted to make sure we covered that. Talk to me about Jeanette Odinson. Obviously, world champion 2011 in the 100 free, 2013 50 fly. Um, Part of me, short course, she was killing it as well. What was she like to coach, yes,
0: Janetta? Um she had an interesting background because that was one of the things I did. I, I looked into how they'd been trained previously and she had like eight or nine coaches uh, and that was maybe I was the ninth or tenth, I can't quite remember, but ha- had a lot of coaches, um, had a dance background up until the age of 12. Janetta would be the, by a mile the strongest ath- female athlete I've ever coached. Like, uh, and as an athlete, like if she didn't swim and she said, Shannon, um, I'm going to, I don't want to swim anymore. What do you think I should do? I'd say do the heptathlon and, and she'd probably win a medal.
2: Mm.
0: Like very athletic, strong, um, great coordination. Uh, yeah, I think Ryan said to me, uh, couple of months back that, you know, she's the best, start, best starter in the world. And, yeah, I never saw anyone beat Janetta in a start. Um, the only thing I changed with her start was just got her to glide. Um, but over-tried um, as a swimmer. So, again, what I did with her was trying, you know, some of the stuff I did with Jody, you know, just getting her to relax behind the blocks, take her time, and not use all that power all in that first 50. Um so, but um, yeah, I remember Janetta uh, when I started coaching her, um, and she says, "I'll give you six months." Otherwise, I was, was, because she was looking at going to America, and um, so anyway, she said, "I'll give you six months." <laughs> I was like on the phone to Elizabeth, so whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> all these swimmers are. All, I'm all on trial here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but you know. Uh, Still in touch with Janetta now. She'd just been to her fifth Olympics. Um, She's a mother um, and um, a great relationship with her. She's one of these, she's probably a little bit misunderstood by people um, who don't really know her and stuff, but um, quite a protective type. um, If you, with responsibility, she'll look after people and, um, I tried to do that in the relays, which I may talk about later, but as a relay swimmer, like if I was to say, you know, right, pick your top four swimmers for a relay, Janetta would be in it. Mm. Unbelievable relay swimmer, just would lift, yeah. Yeah.
1: What about, mate, Riga Mollis, uh, Moller-Peterson, sorry, obviously Olympic medalist 2016, you know, world championship, uh, short course champion? Yeah, so um, Riga Uh, really fascinating background
0: with, with Rega. So, um, and she took a while, like she was a bit dubious about the whole reverse periodization thing, Um, but her background was very much of actually, um, I was really quite confident that it had worked for her because she hadn't had a typical big background. And um, she, she'd come from a small uh, area of Denmark you know, country town type thing, um, swam, got sick when she was like 15, 16, um, and I spoke to this, this coach. He was a Hungarian, and he just let her play in the water. She also had a dance background up until about the age of 12. Um, so she played in the water for like two years, just doing drills, and the Hungarians do a lot of drills and things like that. So she had fantastic uh, swimming awareness. She really, you know, I credit Rega for challenging me the most of any swimmer I've, I've coached, um, not in, in the pool way, not in a uh, um, uh, uh, mental capacity way, but but in the pool. like Her awareness in the water was like just off the scale and um, she she'd be testing me, particularly in those first sort of six months Everything felt like a test, but um, really good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that that challenge as well. Um, and she made the Olympic final in 2012, but like in 2009, and I've got her progression through the years. But in 2009, which was that super suit era, she was a 230 200 brush poker, you know, in a super suit, mm. um, and she was nearly going to give it away. And then then powerless Wilderbor started coaching her late 09, I think. Um, and then, uh, yeah, she made the Olympic final in, in 2012. So, and she was swimming quite well. Um, it, when I got her, she was like 221 when I first started with her. So,
1: Matt, just we, I know we touched on it, obviously, before we even started, but do you think maybe she's a little bit understated in terms of what she achieved in her career, obviously, you know, world record holder and what she was able to do?
0: Yeah, so, she, you know, um, we'll talk about it. She, she had the world record for eight years. I'm um, still in touch with Rega, fantastic. She's, she's, you know, a bit like Jodie, you know, loves being a mum and things like that and um she quieter. Um, Janetta was more um, outgoing and things like that. Regga was, um, like I said, country town type girl. Outside of Europe, yeah, not a lot of people probably know her. And that. Anyone that's seen her, like, so Regga could do five strokes for a 50 breaststroke from a push. <laughs> <laughs> when I was coaching out of here in Canberra um, with the squad and that, Madaboon, you know, all my juniors. You know, those days when all your juniors, you know, they're not doing what you want and stuff. Anyway, we're doing breaststroke and they were all just, they weren't gliding. And yeah, yeah, count to 3,000, one, two, three, you know. (laughs) And I was like, got them all out of the water. I said, Rego, go down the other end. Just give me one of those 550s push um, 50s. So off she goes, pushes off the wall and all the kids, count the strokes, my daughter's in the squad. Oh, my God, just fixed everyone like that. Next minute, everyone's trying to swim like (laughs) regga. So they had a saying up in um, that part of the world, there's breaststroke and then there's regga. That's that's how good a breaststroke she was. And and basically, like, all I did with her was I – a bit like what Jodie in the second 50, you know, what she was good at, I just made made better, as in, um, just, I, I just knocked off strokes. So I think, you know, it, at the London Olympics, she her average stroke rate for that turn of breaststroke I looked at was like 36. When she broke the world record, her average stroke rate was 32. Mm. I think it was about four, four or five strokes less you know, so I just accentuated the kick and the glide. She was great at gliding and just feeling resistance. And um, I, just, I, I just strengthened her pull. Like her pull was probably her weak point of a stroke. And um, I'd done a lot of pull work with Tony White. And so I had some good ideas. And, you know, um, you know we've, we've touched on it in the past. If I hadn't have coached, you know, the breaststrokers that I'd had in Australia – um, like uh, Tani White and Sally Foster and um, uh, Craig Calder and those guys, I, you couldn't have gone in and coached Rega. You know, you wouldn't have got that respect. So, um, well, I, she'd say something to me and then I'd say, I'll oh, try this and she'd go, oh, that feels better. And then there was a little tick for Shannon, you know, mm-hmm. and I had to get, I don't know, 20 ticks and then she'd accept me. <laughs> but, um <laughs> She said a great line to me once. Um, she popped her head up at the end of the pool and she said, Shannon, I'm getting in the road of the water. And it blew my mind, you know. I thought, wow, how good is that? Um, so, you know, as much as I taught her, she taught me. Um, and, and uh, yeah, just a really great, great time. I really enjoyed the challenge of it.
1: Yeah. It's funny you mentioned there about, you know, that feel for the water and stuff. Just watching, obviously, uh, for all the listeners out there, uh, you'll hear at the beginning of the podcast the the music and a bit of uh, commentary around some of the swimmers that Shannon's coached. And, and when I was, um, you know, looking for Rega, uh, found one of the races, I think it was a World Champs or something like that, and she was charging home over the top of uh, whoever it was leading. I can't remember, but it just looked so effortless like and yeah. she was like charging past them like it wasn't as if it was slowly happening but it looked effortless it looked like obviously a strong kick and and a great timing and as you said that stroke rate but it definitely looked effortless so you know i can 100 percent you know see what you're saying there and you touched on paulus there for a second obviously for all the coaches especially up in queensland listening to the podcast um i learned certainly a lot of stuff around him and in his beliefs and capacities and power and all that sort of stuff up in Queensland when I was there. I still actually on this computer have quite a lot of those sheets. Um, you know, did you, you know, take on board anything? Did you know about, you know, the stuff that he was working on when you got over there? Did you learn about that when you got there?
0: Um, all I learned was the European sort of model and way and that, you know, he'd done a, he, he He was tough on them um, from uh, requirements like, they, they did a lot of traveling um, and in the year before the Olympics it, it was like 200 days travel and then the, the year before that was 150 like the overload like he did a lot of overload and progression and stuff and it was in the travel days as, as well so so that was one of the yeah the big changes that I did was not travel as much hmm. um, and in, therefore I was able you know Rega went back to uni um, Penilla Bloom went back to school. She still hadn't finished school. Um, so, um, but then, yeah, just I, I learned what he was doing through just talking to people. Um, so, but obviously, um, you know, I went there to put my my stamp on the on the on the program but because it was quite contrasting. Um, some people, they just yep. Because they'd had enough of the other way, uh, but Rega, it took time because, um, uh, yeah, she she'd ha- she'd been successful with powerless and um, and she, you know, there was at one stage, you know, it was whether she would stay or not, you know, because mm-hmm. I was doing things differently. So anyway, she. Like, like uh, Jeanette, it gave me six months. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mate, it sounds stressful for you, that first six months, <laughs> sitting around waiting to see how it's going to go. Obviously, you backed yourself and it all turned out well in the end. Uh, mate, talk to me about Powell. You mentioned him at the beginning, obviously, uh, world you know, short course medalist in the 1500, multiple-time European Championship medalist as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Powell, it was funny. Um, yeah, so I've had this group. And so my, so I had one breaststroker with Rega. I had one all-out sprint type, which was uh, Janetta, and then Penelo. I sort of threw in with her for a bit, um, and then i just, you know, ha- I'd have one or two of everything, <laughs> um, and pal, the distance guy, and uh, so from the fifteen hundred all the way to the fifty. Anyway, I was like geez, I haven't done any distance coaching since the 90s, you know. So anyway, so I sit down and, and met with everybody, um, you know, basically introducing myself, any questions, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so Powell had come, he competed for the Faroes, but at the Olympics, the Faroes comes under Denmark. So if you're looking for a European result, it, he'll be with the Faroes.
2: Mm.
0: And um, they loved him. He was like, He'll probably be the king of the Faroe Islands. They, they, they built a pool after him, but he trained in a 25 meter pool and loved to work. And um, so I thought, you know, fresh start. Um, they all knew me as a sprint type coach. That was what people had said to, to them. So I said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, to be honest, pal, I'm, I'm a terrible distance coach. I don't even like distance. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't done coached anyone in distance since the 90s. You know, and, and gave this spiel about how bad I am. And but it, I, I wouldn't feel rejected if if he thought I'll oh, I'll go to a, a distance coach in Denmark. Anyway, so I did this song sort of spiel, which obviously wasn't good enough because he goes, Oh no, I think I'll give you a go. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Um so we go down to the pool. Anyway, within yeah four or five laps, I was soaking wet. When pal swam, it looked like he was wrestling a crocodile, you know. Because <laughs> uh, we we he wanted to do hundred k a week, and, and he'd done that in the past. And I, I went no, no, and I tapped out at eighty. I said, I'm not giving you any more than eighty k. And After five laps, I was drenched, you know. pal, like? We've only got one suitcase. All my stuff still isn't here. Um, we'll have to agree to improve your technique um, if I'm going to keep training you. So over time, it, we smoothed him out a little bit, and you um, got a little bit better. So.
1: The last one I want to mention here is, uh, Peniel Bloom, obviously 2016, you know, Olympic gold medalist in the 53 and still, you know, swimming the house down today. i dancing with the stars. If anybody follows her on, on Instagram, she's, she's killing it on there at the moment as well. Talk to me about your work with her.
0: Yeah. So actually Peniela was the first girl I coached in Denmark, uh, or from Denmark, um, so late t- 2012, I, I go over to the World Cup and um, with just one swimmer, um, Jess Morrison. If For people who don't know Jess Morrison, Jess Morrison just won an Olympic gold medal in rowing. And um, so she she was training in Melbourne, and uh, I brought her in to the AOS in 2012. And I had a couple of swimmers. Um, not go to the World Cups, so it was just Jess and I. And we're in Berlin, and we got there like a, two days before the meet starts, so there's not many people around, but there was two Danish swimmers there. And one was Lotta Fries, who I'd met a couple of times through Mark Reagan, so knew her enough to say hello and for her to say hello to me. Uh, and then she introduced me to Canilla. And Penilla was thinking about giving swimming away. She was, at the time, was swimming in training in France. Um, and she was, she went to the Olympics in 2012 in the re- as a relay swimmer, but she was like 55 low type athlete. Um, and she would have been maybe 18, something like that, 17, 18. Um, anyway, so then when I got the job... Um I said to Mickle, I said, because basically um I rang that two people I rang about the job and whether I should take it or not. Um I was just after their advice was Don Talbot and Bill Sweetenham. Um and you know, as Don said, try and build the relays. And I knew like Janetta and Regga were were by by 2016 we're gonna be older athletes but I thought yeah build the relays I've done that before so mm. I'll do that and they had a really young backstroker really good Mia uh, Mia Nielsen was the backstroker she was training not in the center so she was only 16 um, but they needed a freestyler and Panilla was the next freestyler behind Janetta and I said to Mikkel, I said, oh, tell this girl I've met. Uh, I'm the guy from Australia that I met at the World Cups. And so Mikkel had convinced her to come back to Denmark and I started doing correspondence coaching while I was still here in Australia with Penilla. So, um, so yeah, so interesting. Um, she, She's it like... I think, like I said in the past, she's only my height. And so the Danes didn't really rate her because there was just so many big people. Yeah. <laughs> they were always looking for big people. But um, Peniela was a very good swimmer, um, great flotation, had great internal rotation like Jodie. She actually reminded me of Jodie, um, the way she swam. She was quite good at the similar sort of sets as well. And that dive you've got on the, block, the box there, um, we, I, I changed – Peniela wasn't a good starter. Um but we changed his start and I copied it off Florence Manadu. And funny enough, they I think they're going out now or something. Yeah, so. yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like 2014. So so yeah, so we tried a new start. But um yeah, now Pinilla was very good swimmer, and as I've said in the past, I think you yeah, know, be a great hundred meter swimmer if if she went for that event. And obviously I was training her for the hundred four by one medley, really.
1: Mm. But I'm interested just from a coach's perspective. You mentioned there, obviously, the array of sort of different athletes you were coaching at one time. And I've always marveled at, at, you know, coaches who are able to do that at such a high level, because it is so intricate. I think some people just think it's pretty simple and easy. But as we've learned over the years, Uh, in coaching you know not one size fits all and you've got to make sure you're adapting it to make sure everyone's getting what they need can't be overworking a sprinter but you can't be underworking a distance athlete how did you find that obviously you've done it before previously you know successfully for many years but did you find that a struggle I'm always interested in that sort of uh, aspect
0: yeah so it was one of the things that I thought could be done better but you know That was the job. That's what I had to do. So so I had, you know, 11 swimmers, uh, pal in the distance, and I had uh, another girl, Julie, um, who swam the 800. She was a younger girl, and I'd put Julie with pal. And then – so I'd write the program, but then my assistant coach, Stefan Hansen, he would would look after that distance group, which was only like two athletes – And then sometimes he might pick up another one, depending on the sort of set we would do. But some afternoons, I'd have five different sets going. Um, You know, Regga would be doing her thing, and then I'd I'd try and pair them up like all coaches. But I remember the Danes, you know, the swimmers, that they were like, they were amazed, you know. Um, And a a lot of what I saw, and I think was what was happening previously, Jeanetta would just do less volume than everybody else, you know but everyone was doing the same thing. And in a lot of the squad programs around, that was what was going on as well. There wasn't that diversity that is here in Australia. Um, we break up the different strokes or lanes and distances. But um, it certainly was a juggle. And that's why I say, you know, I think I was coaching at my best. I was working with really talented swimmers. Um, and obviously, you know, everything that I'd learned. At the AIS, I was able to implement when I went into Denmark. Um, all those working with different service providers, that experience that the AIS gave me, I hit the ground running in Denmark and had immediate um, um, take-up because Carlos sort of kept it all to himself. They were like this tight-knit group. With the, just the assistant coach and him and the swimmers, whereas I brought in the nutrition, I brought in the physio, um, I brought in those types of things. Uh, so, so people were involved. So, Team Denmark, mm. they 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 thought I was great. You
1: know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm interested, mate. Just on a, a time perspective how how time consuming is it though having those different programs and those different sets and it you know it sounds like it could be easy at times but you know even writing my own sets if i'm just doing two different programs at times that can be time consuming how hard was it coming up with those different sets and then timing it right because if you've got five or four even different main sets going on at the same time you've got to make sure you're ready for each person's main set which is all about timing and stuff as well easier said than done obviously you're at a high level, you had experience to get it done but how difficult was that so writing the programs yeah um, first of all writing it but then obviously implementing that because you've got to be ready for everyone's you know efforts yeah so the first six months was
0: was quite hard in in writing the programs because you're still getting to learn the the swimmers and i remember the amount of times i'd you know screw up that piece of paper start again um the, obviously, you know, you need a good assistant and, um, and I had that. Um, and then there was, you know, some sessions that you might only have two groups cause they're just a generic type session, but some of the sessions I would go in and I, I'd go in, you know, an hour and a half early and do a, a one-on-one with Rega. Yeah. Because she was the only breaststroker, you know, um, you yeah, or, or stay back you know and, and do something so um yeah that's just part part of the gig um, particularly at that level um, when you're getting ready for a world championships or or europeans or you know, it got that after the first world champs in 2013 things you know because you know the athletes and yeah. you've you've just had that big meet and you go All right this is what we've got to do now and, and so things things started yeah, it's like a bit like the oil on the car was all warmed up and we were going then. Um, so it became more, you know, an, an easier thing or a less time-consuming thing. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, certainly the first six months.
1: Well, mate, you mentioned it there, World Champs 2013. And, you know, this is your first major meet with Team Denmark, as you say. What was that like for you sort of, you know, going into your first big meet? Obviously, you'd been there and done it before, for sure. But, you know, this is a a bit of a change for you. You're somewhat out of your comfort zone. Um, You know, did you look at this as a a chance to try and, you know, sort of make it outside of Australia? What was it like, that sort of first big meet? Uh,
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that was the challenge of of, uh, being able to coach successfully. Um, And it was probably – something I hadn't really given it a lot of thought until I got there, but just the cultural differences, you know, um, you, uh, you had to be really careful with your words and explaining things and all that sort of stuff. But we basically, you know, things were going pretty good. We'd had, uh, we, we went to Sierra Nevada and we had a, um, a camp up there, which I was, um, really looking forward to. It was the highest altitude that, um, I'd done at that stage and uh, went off into Men Ostrom. They, they swam really well at Men Ostrom. Um, so I was feeling pretty confident, but uh, for, for worlds, but you know, first taper, um, that's always, a, you know, a, an experience with new athletes. They're, they're a bit, well, is this going to work? He's never tapered me, yada, yada, yada. Mm. But, um, but feeling pretty good going in, you know. Um, and uh, Janetta was up first, I think, in
1: the 100 Fly, and we're off to a good start. That first taper, you mentioned it. What what was that like for you? Obviously, from the athlete's perspective, they're looking at you like, "Well, does he know me well? Am I going to get this right?" For you, as the coach, did you have a good handle on it by that stage? Did, was there? I mean, we never tell the swimmers this, but did you? Was there a little bit of like, "Oh, I don't know. I hope this works." Yeah. <laughs> well, um, traditionally, I was, I'm a sort
0: of three week taper guy, um, and I'm quite comfortable in resting people. But um, obviously, I did a lot of asking of questions and what they had done in the past. Rega hadn't tapered that much. Uh, She was sort of like "Mm, 10 days, that sort of thing. Um, I think she even might have said to me one week, and I'm like, there's definitely no way I'm doing one week. (laughs) Um, And Janetta, I was quite surprised. She hadn't done any big tapers either, so... That, that no, no, no one had done three weeks, so I wasn't going to start off with a three week taper. So I went a two week taper with everyone, um, pretty individualized, and
1: yeah, um, well, it came up trumps. Just on that, just for the coaches out there listening, what are you looking for in your taper to try and get them right? As you said, everyone's sort of individual, but you know what were you looking for in your team, you know, to get them right? What were you doing sort of differently within your taper, if you can remember?
0: Um, it, well. I certainly didn't bring anything new um, but what I was I did a lot of heart rate monitoring um, and uh, we did that up in Sierra Nevada and then we started three weeks out and we just get morning heart rates um, because I felt that that would give me a bit of insight into how they were adapting Um, and you know after the first pretty normal first three days they all feel pretty good and then they start going downhill and I just waited until they their heart rates came back mm. so for instance like um, if they started at 48 morning heart rate and they got up to 51 and then came back down to 43 or something like that I knew that the adaptation had occurred and um, from memory that was that was the sort of probably the you know first time type thing that was the first that was the thing that I'd brought in i've done that before with athletes but it's not something i would probably do with every taper but being um you know older athletes and and um first time that that's that was i think quite a good thing to to, for me to have done
1: yeah nice i think as i said for the list a lot of our listeners are coaches so uh, i think coaches will get a lot out of that even if it's not to copy you know like for like but just for ideas and other coaches might be stuck in in certain spots where something like that might be good advice for the meet. Um, world champs in terms of results, how do you look back on, on that meet for yourself and, and your team?
0: Uh yeah, it was it was a great meet. Um uh Barcelona's been good to me. Uh, whenever they want another major meet in Barcelona, I'll <laughs> I'll put my hand up. <laughs> so it was 10 years since the the previous world champs in 03. And um we uh so we, we, we trained for the 50 fly um, and she did the 100, broke the national record, um, went 57-1 or something like that, I think finished fourth. Um, but it was like, it was a well and truly a secondary event for her. Um, and then she got up and won the 50 um, world champion. so, you know, she previously won the world championship in the 103, I think in 2011, <laughs> yep. equaled tied with somebody so you know two, two different strokes um pretty good achievement um and then she uh we, we didn't do the relay we had a good relay team um it was obviously had a young backstroke girl mia nielsen but she got injured so she didn't end up turning up and Penilla bloom was on the world championship team for 13 because of the of that relay so she swam she made semis quite nervous, first individual world championship, meet, um, And then regga swam, uh, went really well, uh, obviously national record in the 100 breaststroke. She just missed third as well in that, so she finished fourth, um, went 65-9. So she'd made, I think she was like a 66-9 or 67-0 swimmer. So she'd made a good drop and, uh, and then came out for the – 200 breaststroke and swim a great heat went 222 uh didn't talk about the world record or anything um you know what was your 220.9 swimmer or something going into the meet and in the semi-final breaks the world record so <laughs> um and you know it just you know it was i remember brant best stand beside me um So that was pretty good. It was pretty cool. Brant was my best man in 99 when I got married. But um, it all just kicked off then, you know, like totally opposite to when, um, you know, when Jody broke the world record in the semi in the 103 in in 04, we had this really, you know, we talked about that sort of stuff. And you listen to, you know, those podcasts that I've done, Um, you know, the team around us with Clark Perry, we all knew what to do. It wasn't a a thing, you know, everyone knew what to do in that circumstance. Denmark was just the complete opposite. You know, it had been 61 years since the world record had been broken by Dane and (laughs) (laughs) all of a sudden everyone forgot how to speak English. (laughs) (laughs) Fireworks were going off. Yeah, I was just the passenger. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, I knew it was going to be damaging, but uh, anyway, Yeah, to her credit, I think she did a pretty good job. She went 220.0 in the final, got silver uh, to FMOVA. um, I didn't think there was a couple of tenths in it. So um, not a a bad result after uh, an
1: exciting night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mate, you must have been, as I said, pretty excited there. That's your first sort of major meet with with Team Denmark and you started off uh, you know, very successfully there. I'm interested from a coach's perspective. I've asked this before of swimmers. I've actually asked this of Jody before as well, but as a coach, when you coach a world record swimmer, what's that like? Um, that swim, I mean, I should uh, rephrase my question. When you coach a world record, like swim and they touch the wall, you know, that's a world record. What, what does a coach go through in that moment? Um, yeah, I think,
0: uh, well, I mean, it, yeah, it's obviously a fantastic result, you know, the fastest swimmer ever. Um, and, I, I mean, you know, in Herning, six months later, the 4x50 freestyle world record, short course, the girls break. And I think Australia had it. It was a new event. So when it's something like that, me personally, it's like, oh, it's good, but, you know. For me, I'm a real historian, and mm. so an event, for me, it has to have history. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, both the times, you know, and I, I wouldn't swap it, um, but both times the girls have broken board records in semis, and I've had to really try and control it. <laughs> so it's not like this euphoric sort of, you know, um, Obviously, if, if it was after if it was in a final, you could you don't have to worry about the next night. Yeah. So, um, but it's yeah, it's a great feeling. Yeah, certainly. Um, I wouldn't put it above an Olympic gold medal, but uh, it's certainly equal number two. Yeah, you know? hmm. I'd probably put it even above a world championship to be honest. Um, because I think it's a time orientated sport and it's it's got you've got that moment in time where
1: you're the fastest ever so mm. um yeah it, it's it's good the swimmers themselves when i asked that question and jody herself said this um she said you know it didn't feel like a world record i wouldn't say i felt like i was going so much faster than before it actually felt quite easy yeah. is when you're watching those sort of swims can you tell they're on from from the get-go can you tell why oh, this looks this looks pretty good
0: yeah, well, it's funny you should say that. Rega said the same thing. Um, and the next, the following year, 2014, she went under 220 four times in six months. And only on two occasions were we trying to actually, you know, nail it. The other, the other two times she just did it. But, uh, but the, the thing about those ones, she w- was chasing but when she broke the world record, yeah, she she wasn't at all. And what I think, um, I've heard other people say it was pretty easy. And I've talked to Drew McGregor about this a bit. I think they get in such a place of efficiency that it does feel easy. Mm. Um, because I mean, swimming is that type of sport. It's trying harder doesn't necessarily make it make you go faster. And in, in most cases, it will make you go slower. So. There's this. It's such a trade-off sport, and I think what happens is they get into this um, plane in the water, where the resistance is that that position. The resistance is less. Yeah, and, I guess that um, takes
1: me back. Sorry, mate. To um, wasn't it Rega in training? You were saying just before that said to you she was she was fighting the water or yeah. she was working against the water or something.
0: She was getting in the road of the water. There you go. Yeah. And that, that was the first breaststroker that had said that to me, you know, and, um, yeah, fortunately I'd had a couple before I coached her and I wouldn't have been able to coach her if I hadn't have. Um, but, yeah, that she was very aware of what was going on mm. um, when she was swimming. The, the, uh, but to, to your question of do you know if, if it's on, I mean, for the 100 free it's much quicker um, and basically – the first 25 is critical in that 103. And if their stroke rate is too, too, uh, too, too high is too many. If that makes sense. So if there's, if they're going to be 52 stroke rate in that first 25, if they're 54, well, just, it's not going to happen. You know, um, that, that's going to really hurt that last 25 in, in, in breaststroke uh, I tend to count and rate and certainly yeah, you know, I think she Rega was out in uh, thirty-one-eight with thirteen strokes and a stroke rate of twenty-nine or something like that. And I was like, "Oh, that's pretty good." <laughs> and then the second fifty, um, which is a critical, uh, in my opinion, in a two hundred, is that second lap. And then she went out, went through in a seven-two, and the frequency was still low. The count was still low. I think, off the top of my head, it was fifteen. And then she started building and I was like, cool, <laughs> this is on. But I probably thought, you know, she's going to break 20. I didn't think she was going to go 19-1. So, um, so yeah, so the 200 allows more time for that yeah. to happen. The 100, it's, a bit, it's all a bit
1: quicker. So, yeah. Well, mate, you mentioned, obviously, uh, short course uh, champs, European champs in Herning. Uh, later that year and and you know we've had obviously some home sort of games here in australia with com games and um, on the gold coast in melbourne home olympics in in 2000 this is obviously a different atmosphere and the european champs are something aussies probably aren't that accustomed to a what was that like over there and b uh, you know it being a home games in denmark you know you're the the home games coach you've got some of the biggest superstars in denmark in your team what what was that experience like yeah it was great um we uh it
0: was it was a bit of an in, i mean we come off the worlds and um Jeanette, Jeanette was married all right and uh she went through a divorce in that preparation so uh so that was quite a challenge as a coach and and was obviously for her but um it was my it was the first time i'd had to deal with that sort of thing. Um, So for her, she'd had a a disrupted preparation. I didn't want the preparation to be, you know, as focused and hard as what the world's was. So um, because I was wanting to build up into 2014 for the long course world champs, uh, sorry, the long course European champs. Mm. So, um, but I, yeah, we we were aware that, um, Uh, yeah, it was an important meet and it was my first year. European championships. Herning's this tiny little place. A couple of years later, they ended up having the European short course again, but this time they had it in Copenhagen. So um, I don't know what the thinking behind Herning was. I mean, I think it had a population of about (laughs) 5,000, but I think it doubled that uh, at that meet because the capacity, it was uh, um, the capacity was 5,000. They were happy to get about 4,000. And on the first night, the girls broke the world record in the four by 50 and and beat the Dutch were like clear favorites and uh, they managed to um, botch it. And um, the Danish girls won it, broke the world record and then it just just went crazy and capacity crowd, absolutely um, full house. And I remember on that second night I was on pool deck and uh doing your normal thing with the you know warming people up and they just started with i think five minutes to go uh the announcer goes oh yeah five minutes cleared pool and then they started chanting denmark ch- ch- denmark you know and uh right, it was deafening mm. <laughs> and um uh it was one of the best atmospheres best meets i'd been to and it was fantastic for the older girls um because the crowd was just going wild and really lifted them. You know, I think I had everyone in the program. We had 11 on the team um, and we were trying to get, I remember Nick Juba, he wanted to get as many people in that team as possible to give them some experience. So we had a few youngsters and I had a couple of first timers on the team. And, uh, but the crowd was, I would say negative for them. Mm. It was, it was, you know, the experienced ones that they lifted. The inexperienced ones, it was probably damaging for them. So, yeah, but, it, but
1: it's still a good experience. Had mum, dad, friends in the stands that probably <laughs> got to them a little bit. You know, everyone saying, "Oh, we've come to see you. We hope, ha- you know, you're going to do well." Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I've, I've talked to a lot of the Aussie athletes in terms of um, the com Games on the Gold Coast, and and fairly similar, to be honest. A lot of the older athletes really. Uh, embraced it, and I, I think you know. To to your point, I think a lot of the younger ones sort of um, did feel that pressure quite a lot because it is you know as, as I mentioned, friends, uh, family. You know, everyone's every you know what it's like. Every, every all your friends come out of the woodwork. Oh, can I get a ticket? They all come and watch. So uh, for sure, it, it would be a pressure situation, mate. But you mentioned it there, 2014 Berlin European Championships, and and as I said, you know this is something. From an australian perspective for all the aussie listeners we probably don't you know get to experience well at all but we don't really know that much about i know the um the british team you know credit their european championships just before the olympics because they you know even their relays and stuff like that they were swimming really really well and and it was a great preparation how did you find 2014 in berlin and again what, what's the Give the listeners, especially the Aussie listeners, a bit of an insight into what's the competition like. Is it is it like a, a you know a world champs or is it more like a Com Games? Yeah, I would. I, I was really excited because um, I, I'd, you know, read
0: swimming world magazine for some some reason. I didn't go to a big swim school or anything, but uh, the library had these world swimming magazines in the eighties. You know, so I used to read them all the time. Should have been reading other stuff, but I wasn't.
1: (laughs) Um, And uh, at least you were doing that. There's a lot of us who were reading definitely other things we shouldn't have been. So (laughs) at least you were in Swimming World magazine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was a tragic.
1: (laughs) But um, so I was
0: I was pretty pumped. Um, and I definitely wanted a good meet. Um, and I was uh, also excited being in Berlin because it's probably one of my favourite cities in the world. Been there a lot. For the world cups and um i just thought we were going to have it in in the pool there um because it's a great fast pool uh and but anyway to my disappointment we had it in that precinct but we ha- they had a they dropped it in uh, one of those drop-in pools in the velodrome mm. which was actually a terrible idea because you were so far away and and the angle of the grandstand was just it was so you know really low, whereas like in Barcelona, I think it was in a basketball stadium, and and it you've got these high really high bleachers, where um Berlin you didn't, and mm. you were quite a long way from the pool even if you were in the front row, and you were quite
1: flat. So for the rugby league fans, it's kind of like being either at uh, at home bush at ANZ or going to Suncorp. Yeah, where I, I prefer watching at Suncorp. So.
0: Yeah, well, I remember in the SC, it was it the SCG they used to have it and it was you know way out there in the
1: middle oh the scGs yeah, that's horrible to watch rugby league I mean yeah. it's good to watch cricket but you yeah. or AFL but if you're going to watch rugby league yeah it's 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 a pain in the ass. Yeah, so it was
0: a bit like that but um, nevertheless I we were pretty ex- I was excited about it and uh, you know I would put the Europeans um, I, I would go Olympics world champs Europeans that would be my top three mm. Um. And it's held at very high esteem in, you know, if you can't be a world champion, then the next best thing is a a European champion, you know? So, um, yeah, sponsorships and things like that. And then, you know, there's a point score with the, um, you know, with the countries. I think from memory, Great Britain won that meet and Denmark was second. So, uh, which was great, you know, that was their best performance. So, the whole team performed well, um, and uh, not just the guys that were training for me at the NTC, but also, you know, um, Lifey, who had a good program up in Jutland. Um, his guys, he had, uh, you yeah, know, the backstroke girl, Mia, um, and he had a 200 fly boy who who won a medal as well. What was, I can't remember off the top of my head his name, but, uh, yeah, it was a good meet.
1: I was going to ask. Um, obviously, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll ask in a second about you know your results as, in terms of your girls, but. You know, for you uh, outside of that as a team player, well, what's it like being on pool deck with the other coaches? I know you went over there, you know, for that opportunity to learn as well. Do you know, what are you doing on pool deck? And again, this is for all the younger coaches listening, wherever you want, might be, to give a bit of insight into, you know, ways to learn. Do, do you get around pool deck? Do you, are you, I mean, obviously we're coaching. I'm not, I don't want to say, you know, and we've mentioned this, I think, in 2004 when I said, to you, oh, did you see, you know, this racing? Like, Robbie, mate, listen, I, I was busy. I was doing a couple of warm-ups, but outside of that, like do you make sure you, you're trying to find time to sort of, I say network because it sounds like you, you know what I mean, learn yeah. from others, um, but even from your own team environment, are you working with other coaches, helping with other swimmers, give advice, stuff like that?
0: Yeah, well, um, you know, the Danish team's much smaller than the Australian team, so, so we had – know, yeah, we, we took a big team to Europeans and I think we had four, four coaches. Yeah, and when I say big team, probably 20 swimmers, mm-hmm. if that. Um, but what I really got out of it um, uh, being in Europe was just talking to, you know, the guys from France or Germany, uh, the Netherlands, um, uh, the Spanish, it didn't matter and the Brits, you know, um, wherever we went to on a swim meet and, you know, we go up into Norway and Sweden. So it's just like in Australia. um, But in Australia, you're commonly talking to a lot of coaches at state or national level. Over there, you're talking to a lot of coaches at an international level Mm. um, because you're just moving around internationally so much. So... um, so, so you, you, you're tending to hear a lot of stuff on the ground a lot more readily, you know, and you're hearing it firsthand. Um, you know, if someone failed a drug test or something like that, you know, um, which I think FM did did just after the Worlds in 2013, you know, so you weren't hearing it um, necessarily through swim swim, you were hearing it before swim swim, you know. Yeah. So, so it was pretty cool like that. You know, um, and you know, I can remember at those Europeans talking to, um, you know, the Manadu Florence Manadu, He swam really fast at the Europeans, but in thirteen he didn't, and he was the Olympic champion in twelve. And talking to his coach about what what happened, you know, what was the turnaround, um, things like that. So.
1: Well, mate, being the swimming nut that you are, we know you're an avid reader of the Swimming World magazine. Um, <laughs> you, you would have been throffing at all that sort of stuff. I, could, I yes. could just imagine in terms of just being around that environment, not so much the, the um, you know, getting all the goss side of things, but just that swimming knowledge side of things. And as you said, asking you know what happened, how did you work it out and getting some experience and knowledge from that. Um, from your own perspective with the results of, of your swimmers, how did you look at that European champs?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was good. Um, we, I tried tapering him for three weeks. Um, it didn't, I mean, Rega, Rega went a 6 uh, 1 or a 6 0. So she's very close to her best. She went 19, 219, 5 or 6, um, and was underboard record pace for the first three laps um, and came off. Uh, came off the ball we were training to come home in 35 on that last lap she and she had done it in um canay uh about you know it's probably 8 8 weeks early the only thing about the prep was it was a late season um so um uh, i think it was like august early august um it was after the commonwealth games that had been and the season, you know, if I if I could change anything, um, I probably would have started. I reckon I got them a bit too early, um, got them going a bit too early. And um, for Rega anyway, you know, because um, she in Cana she went 219 and she went 32, 35, 35, 35. And I was mm. like, ooh. So I, I was... Yeah, you know, she was definitely capable of going at 218, um, but she just fell off. And, and in that taper and, and even, you know, during the meet, you know, one session she'd feel good and she wouldn't feel so good. And then you, you, I was just having to work harder to get the stroke back and try this and try that. So I definitely think, you know, two weeks for her was, was her limit. Janetta, on the other hand, I gave three-week taper. It was the first time she went a three-week taper. And she won the gold in um, in the 100 fly and beat Sostrom. Mm. And she made a big drop. She went 56.5 um, and, and came home uh, 30 flat. And, and all the improvement was in that second lap and the efficiency going out in that first 50. Um, Penilla had been swimming really well. And she was probably going in as one of the favourites. And she, she faltered a little bit. I mean, that was her biggest... Probably the first time in her career she was there was an expectation on her. Um, swam really well in the relays. Um, I think the girls won the medley relay. She came home in 53 0 and had been 53 6 that season uh, in Can A and stuff. And, and I think would won that meet in, uh, in, in Can A, the 100 free. But I think from memory, she was like 54 0, 54 1. I think it was that 54 that, 1, that bogus time of. Of mine as a coach, <laughs> um, and uh, and then Paul, the distance guy, uh, he uh, he he came to me that season. He wanted to have a crack at the open water, and I said, "Yeah, okay." And uh, the European open water is uh, they don't all take off at the same time; that they they leave every thirty seconds apart, and. I said, yeah, that's fine, but I won't be able to go there with you because the rest of the um, the open water was done like three or four days earlier, and I just logistically we couldn't do it. So he went down. He was like fine for that. It was just a bit of a look-see for him. Anyway, we we're looking at. His, I remember we were back in Denmark. We we're looking for the results. We couldn't see the results. Well, he got DQ. <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> How did you get DQ? He said I left early. So they do this countdown and Powell was terrible in training. Like, yeah, you, you go eight, nine, go. He'd leave on the eight. You, you have to make sure you were watching him because otherwise, you know, the times were out and he just was this creature of habit. And um, well, he was in the air on eight <laughs> and they pulled him out at the first boy, which is about the 800 meter mark. He was so embarrassed. Anyway, it probably helped his, his meat in the pool. Cause he had a great meat in the pool. He um he he got second in the fifteen hundred. Split the two Italians. uh, I think he went fourteen fifty, and he went seven forty seven. I think for the eight hundred and got second in that as well. So um so yeah, I was pretty stoked with that because as far as you know distance coaching, I'm I'm pretty much a rookie. So um, (laughs) but he's a great guy, pal. Um, you know, and uh, I think. Off that meet, they gave him a ticket-tape parade.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> he's Faroes. very big. Yeah, and the Pharaohs—he's <laughs> very, very big.
0: Yeah, because he swam for Pharaohs. So, yeah. um, at Europeans, but swims for the Olympics. Uh, uh swims for Denmark. Denmark. The Olympics, yeah, so, yeah. Um, and the Faroe Islands has a population of like forty-six thousand. So, mm. yeah. And he's so, the man. Yeah, he um,
1: I'm interested, mate. In terms of uh, just talking about Rager and. Uh, you know maybe not quite getting the taper right and, and what that means in you know in terms of looking at those splits you mentioned the splits from from when she broke the world record do you remember the splits from these european champs just to give a, a in context of sort of you know how far off she was yeah i think she was a little bit um
0: she was pretty pretty much on the mark all the way through i think from memory she was a little bit off at the 100 but i'm saying like 7-2 was the world record split and she was like 7-4. It was all looking good. And then the third 50 was pretty quick and she was under world record. They announced it, and the, you know, the roars went up and whether that changed it. Um, but she just, and what, and it was a common thing that year with her apart from in Can A. And so um, in The two meets we were targeting was Eindhoven in April and the August meet of the Europeans. And um, at both meets, if you watch the footage, she started what I call chasing that, that time. So in Eindhoven, she was on world record pace as well. And the last 25, the stroke rate just kept climbing. Whereas when she broke the world record, yeah. You know, um, it was like, oh, yeah, I know I'm under the world record pace. You know, there's no, no need to rush here. It's all under control. You know, <laughs> stroke rate didn't climb. And I think her stroke count on the last 50 was 18. But when she, on those two races where she chased it, what I call chasing it, her stroke stroke count was 20, not 18. I think 19 is, was okay for her. 20 was inefficient. Um, and, when she was in, and it's probably, um, you yeah, know, it's probably her, I mean, world record's a world record, but the, the 219 in Can A, it was pretty special because in Monaco, two or three days before, she was 222 and 107, and that was the first meet. And so by the time we got to Cannae, she'd had a couple of days rest, but certainly wasn't. we weren't thinking, oh, yeah, she's swimming really well. Mm. Um, and we were, we just trained into that meet. And um, it's funny, the little Japanese girl that she used to, it was probably apart from FM over at the time, was were the main rivals. And the Japanese girl beat her in the 100 and then got DQ'd in the heat of the 200 in Monaco. So Rega went through. Won the 200, but there's the Japanese girl. I think she may have even done a PB in the 100. So, Magnus, um, Magnus Schilberg, I think his last name is, but um, Magnus was uh chatting to me in the airport and uh, and said, Oh, I think, think that um, uh, we would have got you in that, um, would have got Rega in that 200 if she hadn't got DQ'd. Anyway, and we were just chatting, yeah, we are waiting for our bags and stuff. Anyway, so we get to the meet and the 200's on and I I'd riled Regger up a little bit and I said, oh, they think they're going to beat you, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so it wasn't that, there was nothing about trying to break the time, it was just trying to beat this, you know, show this girl who was the, who was the boss sort of thing. And uh, she swam fantastic. She went 32, 35, 35. And the only time she went 35 of all the 219 swims was was it that in that outdoor pool in Canhana and there was this great big storm coming and you know the elements certainly weren't on her side. Um, but she swam brilliantly.
1: Mm. Well mate, obviously following 2014 uh, European champs there, I think at you know at home and I'll let you sort of speak more on it, but at home you know things start to, Uh, change a little bit in terms of, you know, obviously for all the listeners out there, obviously we're coaches, we're on pool deck, but if you've got a wife and you've got a family, there's a lot of sort of other moving parts around and everyone's got to be happy and comfortable in their own uh, environment as well. Things start to change a little bit at home in terms of, you know, how people are, you know, falling into uh, living in Denmark, whether it be school and, and things like that. Talk to us about that. Talk to us about A, what it was like sort of living away from Australia with a family being in that environment and sort of the moving parts because yes we're coaches but let's be honest our priorities are being a good husband and and a good father first and foremost coaching really should be um, third. Talk to me about that and then talk to me about you know your decision to start to look at coming home. Yeah so um, I basically
0: in a nutshell made a lot of Uh, And I I can understand why I made the decisions because it was quite hard to get a a place. Um, So, you know, I went over before um, Elle and the kids and in amongst camps and meets and, you know, and and a lot, you know, we were doing competitions in Norway and we had a camp in Spain and then we had a um, Sierra Nevada. So we'd done a, you know, it was quite busy in that first six months. And in, in that time, I was trying to, find a place and I just kept for coming up short and, you know, whether it's because I was a foreigner and they weren't, you know, they just tended, I just kept missing out on the, um, you know, the rental, you know, go to someone else. And um, but anyway, a guy coached and a good friend now, uh, Ricky Jorgensen, he was moving to um, the Netherlands. And he was going to rent his house out anyway. So I grabbed it and it was 20 odd K from the pool. It was this little um, village called Ganluis and um, Bellahoy, where we were, where the program was, is right sort of almost smack in the middle of um, Copenhagen. So Ganluis was a little village, um, picturesque, chocolate box type stuff, and, um, it was very it was similar to you know it had a backyard um, had those real typical high-pitched roofs all the bedrooms were in the in, in the roof which is all quite exciting for the kids had an attic so it was all it was all that was pretty good and I thought oh it's familiar with the backyard and there's a trampoline but the international school was also 20 odd Ks from the house in not in, in the opposite direction to where I was going to work. So we were doing a lot of traveling. um, And I think the mistake was we, we put the kids in an international school. Mm. So their friends weren't in, um, in their local area. Yeah. And we just thought that was a good idea. Um, And they were learning Danish, but it just proved not to be a real good idea. And then um, my son was 10 when he went when we went over and uh, my daughter was six she fitted in great but um Ethan was like missing his friends and then you know there was you know a bit of bullying going on at the school um and you know so I think that the, the situation of living too far out of Copenhagen wasn't good um and I I stupid me doesn't tend to ask for help, you know, mm. <laughs> and, um, uh, and I, I should have put my hand up for help, but I sort of was waiting to get help, <laughs> but the Danes, it's not in their culture. Yeah. So if they offer help, they're implying that you're incompetent. So they don't, they just wait for you to ask. So it was like this Mexican standoff. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, so we, we, we were yeah hoping things got better. Um, Elle, Elle wasn't working. She was doing some study uh, back with the Melbourne Uni, um, doing some uh, stuff like that. So that was good for her. Um, but anyway, uh, Ethan was struggling, and I sort of um, I f- felt a bit guilty, you know, and, the, and then I, you know, I was, you know, I was thinking, you know, all the decisions that you make in your career are coaching decisions, and what do you think best? And 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 I'd ticked all the boxes, and I just felt I needed to make a decision based on family. I didn't want um, my kids growing up not enjoying their childhood, you know, and. Um, whether it was the right decision, whether we pulled the trigger too early, you know, could it have got better, you know, uh, probably yes, but you know, I was out riding on the bike and I just made the call and I just thought, I'm just going to go, we, we, I think we're going to go home, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, so we made that call just after the Europeans. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a fair bit of disappointment. Um, girls, yeah, everyone had a little bit of a different um, uh, uh, response to it, but across the board, it was very upset. Um, and, you know, work were obviously disappointed and trying to fix things, but really the decision was made. And, and um, sort of, I'm sort of, once I you know, once you say to your kids, we, you know, we're going to go home. Yeah, you can't um, go back on that. Yeah. So, but I I, I was adamant that I would do whatever it needed for that prep because we were getting ready for the world short course. So, mm-hmm. and I had no job to go to, but I don't think they quite believed me at that time, you know, and they were like, oh, yeah, come on, you're an Olympic gold medalist coach. You know, of course you've got a job to go back to. And I said, nah, <laughs> <not> in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, when I came back, I was unemployed for three months. So, um, But, yeah, that was pretty tough. And even uh, it was, uh, we went to the world, world Shore course and we had a great, really good meet there. Um, could have been a better meet, but, you know, the girls beat Australia in the medley relay. Um, it was a bit of a swan song. Um, and then we had to sort of, you know, relive the whole i'm I'm leaving you know thing, and there was plenty of tears and and uh it, it was it was a difficult time, so yeah I, I felt guilty, you know, like um but anyway,
1: yeah, I mean, so what I wanted to sort of uh, double down on is that you know for all the people listening out there in in, in especially the coaches listening. Um, especially, you know, parent coaches, um, we'll definitely understand this. I mean, there's so many layers of difficulty to to what you just said. Uh, it's not even funny. As you were talking about it, I'm thinking, you know, that we, you know, there's obviously we're looking after our family. You, you've got to make sure, you, you know, now you're breaking the news to your swimmers as well. There's that going on. One thing I think you didn't really touch on, which I know you would have, and we we all have, is that coaching pride as well, because you you know that decision to come home in 2014 is going to be looked at on the outside as, oh, well, what's he doing? He's he's not seeing it through or things like that. Like I know, you know, I'm not holding that against him. I'm I'm a family man myself. But the ignorant people would be able to say that. And as a proud coach yourself, you'd, you'd want to see things through yourself as well. But at the end of the day, excuse my French, but fuck it, it's swimming, isn't it? And family comes first. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I think you've, you know, you've made the right decision, obviously, for yourself, your family. You guys are are loving life at the moment. It's not easy to make, but when it boils down to it, family does have to come first.
0: Yeah. The um you know, was, I remember in '96, um uh Joe King, who was I, I I he was the coach at the Leander Club. He coached Haley Lewis and you know, on on teams and and I trained with him for, for about yeah, from 15 to 19 or something like that so anyway we were up in uh Cairns on a qas camp and he said oh i'll take you to lunch we'll have a chat anyway it, and i thought he was going to talk to me about coaching and stuff and he, he talked to me about family and that, that'd be the hardest thing uh in your coaching career is, is keeping your family and you know it's um yeah, you know, it would have been um uh not an easy session decision, but you know, this squad was equally the best squad I ever had, you know, like um it was definitely just as good as my sort of heydays with Jody and, and Alice and mm. Tani and 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 all of that. Um so but one of the things that I it's hard when you're successful when you're a young coach to keep motivated and and keep wanting to go ahead and all that sort of stuff. But also on the flip side, I always felt that if things got bad, um, I I was fortunate that I'd had Olympic success at an early age, you know. So if ever that day came when I had to make a choice, I felt at least that, had given me a sense of freedom, if that makes sense. And yeah. I'd witnessed a lot of older coaches who just keep chasing this thing, this medal, this results at the detriment of of their family. And, and I just never wanted to be that, you know, so...
1: Well, mate, as I said, yeah, I, I enjoy the fact that we are talking about that. You know, if you, and I, I say this quite often, this is a podcast like no other. I challenge you, I dare you, there is not another podcast out there that's really getting to the nitty-gritty of, you know, balancing coaching with family life and, and the real stories behind it, like you've just touched on, mate. So I appreciate you sort of sharing that with us because that's real, you know, and there's a lot of people out there that are no doubt that listen to that going – Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, maybe not to your level, but that, you know, they're feeling it. it might just be, you know, a hot summer in, 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 uh, Australia here, mate, with all the meets that go on and you don't see your family for, you know, four or five weeks sometimes on the weekends. And it's not easy as a coach and we're balancing our pride. We're balancing, you know, trying to be professional, but we want to be good parents and, uh, and husbands or, or wives. So, um, mate, Thank you very much for sharing that. Now, I'm interested, though, obviously, we make that decision and, and I'll, I'll get you to sort of talk to me about then coming home and what that was like. Um, but I, I do know you're obviously still involved with the, with the Denmark swim team following that. You might not have been there. Talk to us about, A, coming home, what that was like, um, you know, coming back to Australia and then into, you know, 2015. Yeah.
0: Um, so it was pretty you know, I, I knew I was coming back to nothing. Um, Elle's a teacher. So she, she um, she went back to her job and, and it was quite fortunate. She didn't have to be working then to keep her position, uh, at the school. So we just had to give them enough leeway run up time to, you know, which we did. Um, and so she went back in to work and stuff. I, um, I, uh, you know, had the reality of the you know, kids were back at school, that's all good, everything was good. And the next minute, I'm I, I'm the ones like, oh, now what do I do? Mm. Um so what I did was uh I started looking at a lot of um my programs over the years and, and what had been successful, and, and I sort of documented them all into um you know, one was on Jody, one was on Alice, one was Tani White. Uh, Jeanette Rega, Linda Hocking, whoever I'd had at, at a – and tried to look for some similarities in the last sort of uh, six, eight weeks. So I did that to sort of bide the time and also um, I, I tried to – that was sort of my positive, and I'd do that twice a week. Um, anyway, and then I, I, I started um, uh, a program in the north of Canberra, Gungarland with the YMCA – and, and we kicked that off and yeah, that was zero. It had to learn to swim program, but that was it. And um, um, I remember I was a couple of weeks in, <laughs> got up and, and I had like, I think we had 12 or something kids on the books, you know, but you never get all 12 and two of the kids on the books are my kids and they weren't doing mornings. Then anyway, I went off to morning practice. First time it ever happened in my career. Had to come home. No one turned up. No one's there. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's what that feels like <laughs> mm. so um yeah and then you know uh the girl the, the danes and all that and the girls they were they were preparing stefan uh, hansen he was my assistant um when i was there he took over the ntc program and they were getting ready for the world champs uh which was it in russia in
1: 27 uh, what? 2015 was kazan yeah
0: yeah, yeah. So um, and then uh, and Matt Aboud rings me, um, and he he must have rung me about June that year, and he was on the team as a relay swimmer, and um, I spent about forty five minutes trying to talk Matt out of not coming to train with me. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was in this fifty meter pool that was extremely noisy, and that the acoustics were terrible, and um, every time you you you'd speak yet yeah, the kids couldn't hear you unless you were directly behind each block have you ever coached in a pool like that
1: there have been a few yeah the where the acoustics are pretty bad
0: oh so if you had three <laughs> lanes you had to say the thing three times and the noise from the to swim mornings weren't too bad but the afternoons were terrible it was a brand new pool they put the Speedo clocks were are in all the wrong positions. Kids couldn't see them. Don't
1: you love that? Don't you love when people who have no idea about swimming put the, put the clocks up?
0: Then the blocks, there were these American blocks that were probably, you know, $100 cheaper than the normal blocks. I've never, ever to this day seen blocks any other pool than this pool They were six inches too short and you couldn't adjust them. I couldn't work out, you know, when you first start doing some dives and that. Think, geez, the kids are diving a bit flat here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so Matt's tr- he he wants to do his Olympic prep, and I didn't really know Matt. I mean, I knew him a little bit, but not to any degree. And I'm like, Matt, you no, look, you can't. I mean, you've got nobody to train with. I think the oldest kid was like 14, and and there was. At that stage when he called, there was probably 30 or so, so kids, but a lot of them were just young kids. Mm. Um, and I got off the phone after about 45 minutes and, and L said, it sounds like you don't want to coach him. I said, sounds like I don't. <laughs> I said, he can't come and do this. Yeah. You know, the, the facility, the, he's got no one to train with. We haven't even got the right blocks, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so he agreed to um, go to the world's, come back and come down for a week and, um, and, and just try, try it out. So anyway, he came down and um, anyway, Elle says to me, it was probably Thursday, and he, she says, oh, what do you think Matt's going to do? <laughs> and I didn't, you know, I think I was walking into the kitchen. I didn't even miss a beat, a step, and I said, what do I think? He's for three days, he's been trying to work out how he's going to let me down gently. He's not (laughs) staying. (laughs) And then um, she goes, Oh, okay. Anyway, Saturday morning, I said, I said, he wants, you know, he's going to have a chat with me. And um, anyway, I walked in after the training and she said, Oh, what happened? And I said, You're not going to believe it. He (laughs) wants to train (laughs) here. And then it all happened pretty quick. Um, uh, the girls didn't s- swim particularly well uh, in Kazan, and um, and I'd always said I'd do whatever I could to help them. And um, um, Janetta, had, uh, I'd been in touch with Janetta a, f- a fair bit. Uh, Rega, um, was mo- she really wanted to commit to the n- next coach to give hi- him – a full chance, um, but she didn't go that well. I think she finished seventh. And um, the next minute, uh, we were looking at ways for them to come and do blocks of training with me. So they'd come out and do six week block, go back home for a month, and then come back out and do another six week block. And um, um, I think I had to have an I had to ha- I had to have fifty kids to have an assistant coach, so. I had about 45 swimmers when this was all happening. And then bingo, the next five kids got in real quick. It was, it was like yeah. half price. You know? yeah, yeah, Start <laughs> so picking people out from the public yeah. lanes.
1: Hey, you want to come over and train? <laughs>
0: yeah. So um, I got an assistant coach and it, it was amazing, you know, like, um, yeah, I've gone from, you know, unemployed. I started this program in March. This is local kids, my own kids, which I enjoyed. I always wanted to catch my own kids. And um, the next minute, I've got Matt Aboo, Janetta Ottesen, uh, Regimola Pedersen, um, Jenny Johansson had come down for a little bit. She was in Australia, and Hannah Maria Sapala, <laughs> who raced Joad in 03, you know, and was world champs. She came out for a bit. It was just, you know, we we're in Gungarland, like, um, it, uh, it was um, a bit surreal. And uh, anyway, it was really good. So got, got them ready. And then um, the Danes wanted me to come over in like February and just stay all the way through to the Olympics. And, and we'd, we'd agreed. Um, Pia Holman uh, was great. And Nick Juba was great. Um, Penilla, from memory, had quit off the world's. And I'd talk to her. Um, we had a chat and stuff. But anyway, she, she obviously didn't decide to come out, and she, and she stopped swimming for a while. And Nick Juba did a great job to get her back in the water. So she started back in the water January of, of 2016. And um, uh, the Europeans were in London, uh, and they were around about the same time as our Australian champs. Anyway, the Danes wanted me over in fact, I said, look, I can't. I'm committed to the Australian Championships. I've got a swimmer in Malibu who's going for the Olympic team. He's 30 years old. Um, and um, as soon as that meet's over, I can come to Denmark. And that's what happened. Um, and um, L El- goes, what are you going to do if Matt makes a team? And I'm like. I don't know uh, <laughs> I'll cross that bridge when it comes, you know, I said the mat, yeah like Matt was getting injured diving he, one injury he did his neck just diving into the pool, uh another time he did his lower back and just standing there on pool deck, like I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't have been just standing there, you know, and um if he was a horse, ah oh, it was incredible, yeah, and um. The whole prep, we had like four meets we were going to go to. He swam one, you know, he goes to the New South Wales country and he goes 49 seven or something like that, and uh, which we were pretty happy with. Um, anyway, um, Graham Carroll Grubb he comes up to me and you know, i known Graham years 20 years. He comes up and he goes, He's going to make the team. I was like. What do, what do you mean? And I, 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 he says, I've watched this kid swim through, you know, he's a 30-year-old man, but I've watched him swim for years. He's swimming really good. I'm like, oh, thanks, you know, I said, well, we'll see. And he said, mark my words, he's going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyway, I never forgot it. And uh, anyway, so we, we got ready for, for um, you know, then went to Olympic trials. It was just. It was, it was quite funny. You're always going with a big squad or always going. So I, I go to the Olympic trials with Matt Aboud. We didn't even have to be there on the day one. We weren't even there two days before. He didn't <laughs> race to like day four or something. We, we rock up on day two. I, I was staying, Matt was staying somewhere. I was staying in someone's bedroom that Rosemary Good had organised, <laughs> which I was trying to do it on the, on the cheap. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, we. The, the thing about the whole thing, Barry Prime was the only guy that came and saw me at the pool. Um, apart from some, you know, friends in that, you know, Drew and Greg Shaw and a few people would ring me and say, oh, how's he going and, and stuff. Uh, no one else, you know, we weren't allowed to use the pool at the AOS. Uh, we asked for that for blocks. Nah, can't do that. Um yeah, you know, Jaco didn't ring and say, how's he going? Um, it was Matthew Who. Mm. And um, we rock up there. And even when I was there at the pool, no one even asked, how's he going? You know? And uh, I think he was sort of, you know, that's the end of him. And um, he swims the heat and he missed the wall. <laughs> he touched it with his toes. And, and, and he looked pretty good. Like he went 50 he went 50.0, 10 days out, and he negative split it. And um, so I thought he was going pretty good anyway. So he ends up in lane one. Um, and thank God he said he missed the wall. And anyway, long story short, he, he wins the semi. He gets lane five. He's, he's next to um, McAvoy. who was swimming really good that year. And he makes – he gets – he finishes fifth in the, in, in the, uh, hundred. And then he gets second in the 50, which really surprised me after. Maybe we should all be doing starts off blocks that are short. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and he makes the team, which is great, but it's also like now I've got to deliver him the news that I've gone to Denmark. So we, I take, we go out for, um, Brecky and, um, I said, oh, look, mate, I had to commit to this. Long story short, but I've got to go back and uh, I'm going back to Denmark, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, can I come? <laughs> so Matt came too. So um, well, back off to Denmark we went. So the girls went to the, the Europeans, swam, swam quite good. Janetta was like 56-8. Rega won the 200 breast in 221. And – Basically, um, because she had always, you know, all her sort of swims were typically out in a 107, I sort of, I was trying to mix things up a little bit and just to put a second thought into people's heads, some of her competitors' heads, and I said I wanted her out slow. So she only went out in a nine, nine something, and then she took off, went to 221, and it was just a three-day rest type meet for for those guys, so – um and then yeah we had our prep so in denmark
1: i'm interested i say that a lot because i am this is half the reason why i have this podcast mate it's just (laughs) really to sit here and have professional development for myself um i'm interested in terms of the coaching psychology and you mentioned there um you know playing some games a little bit you know going out a little bit slower um easier to do obviously with you know with a swimmer like reg who's obviously so quick but also, in terms of, you know, coaching psychology with Matt maybe at, at, at the trials, talk to me about your co- your sort of speeches before races. Are, are you typically someone who just underplays it? Would you say to Matt something like, obviously, he's got to be the right athlete for this speech, but yeah. would you say to him, look, mate, nobody gives you a shot around here. I haven't even been asked about you once. Hmm. Uh, just to G him up, obviously, not to make him feel bad, but just to G him up. And, and, we, you know, with Rega, as you said, just sort of playing some games. Um, is that something you do quite often or does it have to be the right moment for those sort of things? Do you probably play it a lot more safe? Or not safe, but just play it straight a lot more and then when the moment calls for it, throw that sort of curveball?
0: Yeah, I, I would say, I haven't given this a lot of thought, but I, I would say I... Play it straight. Um, and probably because I'm not a good bullshitter. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they'd see straight through me. <laughs> uh, my brother, on the other hand, he'd be able to do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but me. Um, and Matt, like Matt was quite aware, you know, that he, he, he he was a bit dirty on, on a few things mm. you know, just because how quickly he was dumped, so to speak. So um, I didn't need to roll him up. He was a bit flustered after that wall thing, you know, and he qualified 15th or 16th. And, and, and I was like, Oh no, you'll be right. Cause I, cause I knew he was swimming well. And, um, and I was, I was like, fine. So I think, and later we spoke, he spoke to me about that, he said, "Oh, you was just so relaxed. Uh, once you found out, which really brought me back." Yeah. Um, so.
1: And we've heard that before with you with Jody. Yeah. With just going, oh, you'd be right." Don't you know? You yeah. you're good. And then her just going, "Yeah, okay." So obviously he's not. Yeah, okay. But your sort of demeanor has, has definitely brought him back now.
0: Yeah, and, and um, and with Matt, like you can see the tension in his face. He'd carry it, and I. So it was it was along the lines of Jade really. He is a very good swimmer, Matt, um, mm. and he ends up being the, the oldest rookie Olympian Australian swimming's ever had. Thirty year old uh, Olympic rookie, you know. Yeah, but he could swim. You know, he he was a good swimmer. Um, so yeah, with with him it was playing it down. He he wasn't the type that he had to roll up because what I wanted him to do is just to use like he's a. He's a big fella, six foot six, has ability, can swim. He was a guy that needed to muscle it. So I think if you had a guy, someone who's not like that, like um, who comes to mind, like an Ashley Callis comes to mind, he needs uh, to bring something to the table. Matt d- didn't need to bring that sort of thing to the table. Um mm. Chalmers maybe is a guy that can bring something to the table, and
1: but, but Matt wasn't. You know. It's almost that boxer mentality, isn't it? I, I can't imagine too many boxers going to the ring ready to fight when they're sort of laid back. A lot of them are, are ready to go, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: so it'd be like R. Lee, who's a, the boxer, he, he needed to be relaxed and stuff, whereas um, so a bit more of a, a slugger, may tend to bring more aggression because he's going to win the fight by knocking someone out where the boxer can win the fight on points. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Make great analogy. See this is why the podcast has got your name <laughs> on it. Um, talk to me about 2016, the, the Olympic games themselves, um, you know, different games for you in the, in the perspective of obviously you know, you were a different country. And uh, this is your, you know, your first Olympics with a different country. And what was that like? What was your experience like? Um, you've obviously been, you know, living back in Australia. You, you were over there a little bit, obviously, as you mentioned before the game. So it's not as if you just sort of left them high and dry and dropped in right before the games. Hey guys, I'm back, chuck yeah. me a shirt. So you'd been doing the work over there as well. What was it like when you first went back over there? Were you received well? Did you feel like you you fit straight back into it and felt comfortable again? And then obviously on to the games, what was that like for your first time out of Australian colours? Yeah, so it, it was really good. I was received
0: very well. Um, uh, probably, uh, you yeah, know, second time around, much warmer than the first time. You know, like you're over there, you're this, who's this guy who's come in and he's taken my job? And the coaches were, were fantastic and, uh, uh, I, you know, it's funny. The first time I went, the only time people asked if they could come and spend time with me from Denmark, da- Danish coaches, was when I said I was leaving. <laughs> um, Stefan Hansen was the only Danish coach to spend time with me prior. And that's, he ended up, I gave him, you well, know, I didn't, but we gave him the, the head uh, assistant coach role. And and the coaches that would come and spend time with me were like Hungarians and all sorts of different places, the Finns, Swedes. But when I um, went back the second time, uh, I, I you know, a lot of people I, I, I you know would spend a couple of hours having a chat to people at cafes and, and they'd come down and on pool deck and it was completely different. Um, and then you know. Which was good. The, the the lifeguards and all of that at the Bellahoy
1: Pool were great. And um, you must have felt like Powell, mate, going back to his home country after a few <laughs> after a few medals. Well, yeah, you know, I remember the lifeguards are like, oh, the Aussies back,
0: and <laughs> yeah. I went um went down to the uh, the Faram, uh, bakery. There's this is big bakery in Faram, um, and Ganlos is like five Ks from From the bakery, I used to go there all the time and uh, daily. You know, Danish is you know you've got to make sure you do an exercise. <laughs> but um, uh, and then whenever we'd meet, I'd meet with Nick Juba. Um, it'd be at the bakery, and the swimming officers were at Farum because when Mark Reagan was in Denmark, the national training center was in Farum. You know, and I actually said, "Oh, can we move?" can we move the, the pool to the NTC to Farum Cause I was only 5k away and, um, but anyway, we, we couldn't, but um, <laughs> yeah, I went back to the da- uh, Farum bakery and they're like, Oh, the Australian's back, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it, it was good. And I was there oh, whenever the trials was, was that April or March? And I was, so probably got three, four, three and a half months. And then the time that you're in Rio uh, but I was set up. I'd walk to the pool. It was all, it was all pretty good, um, and uh, it was all back to normal. We had a good prep. Uh, went to the men' ostrom. Scotty Scott Volkers was at Manostrum ostrom with the with the Brazilian guys, um, and and Ben Titley. Uh went out with Ben, and um, uh, he said, "Oh, I think I've got this girl." This penny girl like she's only 16 or 17 or something i think in 2020 she can win
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know so he, we were talking and he was quizzing me about you know stuff that i'd done with jade and and uh in the 100 freestyle space and and uh yeah anyway he had a good meet
1: in Rio. Yeah, that Penny girl. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah. she didn't. She didn't go bad. Gold. Gold's not a bad color.
0: Yeah. Um. So I'm yeah, interested. We of and, and
1: and that
0: was all good. You know. Mm. And um. Uh. Yeah. I think it was a good prep.
1: Yeah. So you come back into the team, and you know we'll get into the the games themselves now. What What's your role within this uh, team, Denmark? Now, because obviously you've been out of it. You've been back for a little bit now. Do you, do you have a couple of athletes? What's your role? Is it different to what it has been or have you fit back straight into where you were before?
0: You know, so obviously Stefan was, um, you know, he was the, the head coach at the NTC had taken my previous role. So I, I just had to come back and, and fit in. And basically, you know, with the me coming back, you, you know, you've got to have spaces on the Olympic team. So that, that logistically, that needed to be sorted, and I couldn't take a spot from a from anyone, you know. So Stefan had to keep his role. lifey. Um, so they were the two coaches plus myself. Um, so so for instance, if I coached everybody, then Stefan couldn't be there. Then so I, I then I'm not going to be there. So. Hmm. So I, I just looked after the two girls. Um, Stefan had been coaching Penilla since she came back. And so he was coaching her. Uh, and I I was the only one with Olympic experience. Um, Nick Juba, who was the head coach, and he did a lot of the logistical work and did a great job in, in setting up our pool in Rio uh, in our pre-camp. And um, we were staying on the, uh Coco Cabana Beach. Uh, we weren't having to share it with anyone else, any other teams. So um, you know, logistically done a fantastic job. We were like an hour and a bit bus ride into the village. Um, and we had this eight-lane 50-meter pool to ourselves with a team of you know 12. And um, but I was sort of the only one with that Olympic experience. So th- that was a plus to bring that So that was sort of my role. The other thing was um, to get the girls, they know, we nominated them or Nick nominated them for the medley relay, but there'd been a bit of a disagreement in 2017 and they said they weren't going to be in a relay again. And it was all around what people, you know, athletes, swimmers had said on public, uh, on um, national TV. Nothing, you know,
1: meaningful it was sort of in the Can moment you tell us what that was mate just for all the aussie listeners who might not know
0: uh well so the the danish media it's been a while
1: now so don't worry you, you won't be in trouble
0: yeah they, they were <laughs> tricky they, they they loved a bit of you know um yeah, like
1: all media media
0: i suppose controversy so, creates yeah. cash i've heard yeah so there was a couple of them that even when i was there previously you, you know you were so sort of, oh, you gotta be careful these ones and that ones and so they'd love to divide and conquer anyway. So the girls didn't swim well in the, in the medley relay and um, I think the Danes had, you know, the media had said something about that. And then they said, here, look at the splits. And then Janetta goes, oh, well, I swam fast. Well, that was taken the wrong way. And so, yeah, so they weren't going to swim. So anyway, Nick had been talking to me this, when I was in, the, you know, on Skype and all that, and I said, just nominate the team, and we'll see if we can get them to to race. Mm. So, I, so that was basically my my that was my job in the months leading up. Well, you have a good track record with relays, mate. Just saying. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, <laughs> they were quite funny. So, what what I did was I individually would take them out for a coffee and let them blow off steam, and then I would start asking questions. And you know, just sort of roundabout, and you know, Rega was probably the hardest one to get. She's, like, I know what you're doing, Shannon. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but you know, we went, went through everybody, um, their strengths and weaknesses and, and stuff like that. But in the end, um, and we take them, to, I think Nick and I took them to dinner and we had pizza, and we didn't really talk about the relays in that sense, we just tried to get them to just feel good and stuff. But, um, and we did some relay changes and anyway, that we got the relay in and everyone was accepted it. And, um, but what I did was I made a captain and I I put Rega Janetta and Rega as captains, but I really wanted Janetta. I had to have Janetta as a captain because it gave her some added responsibility. And and when you gave her responsibility, she, she was really good. Like, she's got one of these, she'd like uh, protecting, I don't know, is it the mother hen or something like that? Like, you know, um, she, she takes on that responsibility and then, um, and, and she's very good with the media as well, as far as um, she likes it. Um, wouldn't surprise me if she gets into it. And so, so then we talked about how we can control the media And we came up, as a group, we came up with how many questions would we answer, and uh, they came up with three. When they went to that um, after the race, they would only answer three questions. They would would tell the media, we're here only to answer questions about the relay, and we're not answering any questions about any individual swims, and you've only got three questions. So anyway, they, they loved the fact that they had this plan and, <laughs> um, and the first question I think they asked Rega about her race the night before in the 200 Breasts, and she didn't win a medal and, and um, she, that's question one. You have two questions left. And, and anyway, and, and they, they came out from the heats. They were buzzing, you know, the, the fact that they – we're in control. So it was really good. So.
1: But that's funny in terms of even everybody's listened to obviously uh, episode one, episode two. uh, And if if you're really paying attention, you're starting to notice that Shannon does enjoy um, playing with the media a little bit and and being in control. He doesn't like the media controlling the narrative. (laughs) He likes to control the narrative. Um, Is that something that's just happened naturally? For you, mate, or have you sort of is that something that's been as a youngster? Did you notice stuff with sports and certain journalists? Or what I'm interested, what sort of drove you that way? Or have you not even noticed? And then you're just it's only since I've started bringing it up, they're like, actually, yeah, now that you mention it, I, I do enjoy that.
0: Yeah, I, well, it's exactly that. I didn't really think uh, that I did, um, but yeah, now that you mention it, I, I probably do. But obviously, I knew I had to with Joe, mm. um, and uh, so that's how it all kicked off. But but um, I, I've always had an interest in psychology, and and definitely, um, you know, you've, you've got to leave no stone unturned in in high performance, and mm. that whole side of things with the media. Is a big part, and it's only got bigger with, um, you know, as as people are easier to contact and more readily available and online and things like that. So you, you you've got to you, you've got to have that in your in your narrative. You've got to be thinking about that sort of stuff. So, but yeah, I I, I didn't sort of set out to do that. I, it's just I'm, But as you say, and, and
1: and when you brought that up, I'm like mm, actually. i'm a big fan as you know and obviously if you've listened to the podcast you know that i'm a massive wayne bennett fan and i I know shannon you are too and made some of my favorite times are just watching him play the media and having them scratch their heads of like how are we going to break this guy because he's really not giving us and he does give you what they want when he wants to give you it like he he never lets people control it and uh, and i love it and i i think You're very um, much a student of of that yourself, so I really uh, enjoy that part of it. Now, in terms of results in in Rio, mate, it it was a great time there and obviously we we know the relay did well and that has your sort of fingerprints all over it. As I said, if you go back and look at your history with relays, I know next week we've got a, a chat with Tomo coming out, Alan Thompson, and we talk about relays there as well, so um, you must've enjoyed that. And, and how did you enjoy the, the swimming portion of, of the Rio Olympics?
0: Yeah, it's, um, the, I mean, the Rio Olympics themselves reminded me a lot of Athens. Um, and, and it was quite funny. This, uh, yeah, the other guys, that we, were, we were all staying with, they were like in shock, you know, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, uh, the beds were so hard. I had a pinched nerve for like three months. You know, in my shoulder. <laughs> well, it wasn't my shoulder. I think it was something up in my shoulder, but my my thumb was numb for three months. I probably should have done something about it. But um, anyway, they they were unbelievable. They were the, the only accommodation I've ever stayed in where the longer you stayed, the cleaner the rooms got. <laughs> there was so much dust. And you know, the Things were clogging up in the showers, and oh boy. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, from a swim meet, uh, it, was, it was funny. Like the hundred flies, Janetta, she got all flustered. You know, we were doing a a, um, uh, a pace fifty, and she ran up the back of someone, and she got really shitty, and it was just she was just on edge, you know, and. The key with Janetta was again, she, what I felt the good work I'd done with her was was letting her talent take her down the first 50, where she would try to muscle it. Mm. And that was really the thing I changed with her. And uh, she had to be, was it um, 18 or 19 strokes, something like that, through that first 50. She had to be so many, five strokes through the first 25. Anyway, she was one stroke too many. She was half a stroke at the twenty-five, and I, as soon as it was half a stroke, I knew it was going to be one full stroke. And every time, in, when you looked at all of her stats, whenever she was out in that way, she couldn't come home in under thirty point five. But she was just, yeah, it was too. Uh, she got upset in 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 the in in the warm up and it all sort of went that way since that and she was pretty upset and um, i remember actually a coach saying to me afterwards he'd seen how upset she'd been and and just that whole you know, he must have been just watching how i dealt with it and and, and the chat and everything and he said i oh, you know people don't see the other side of the olympics do they you know someone's disappointment and you know Ragur and Janetta are at that age where, I'm not going to go again, you know. Um, and, and it's it's interesting when you're younger, when you've got a younger athlete, you've always got that card to play. Ah, you know, we'll come back next time or blah blah mm. blah. But then there's this period where they start to well, I don't think this is going to be a next time, and I still haven't won a medal yet, and this is it. Yeah. So and that's day one for her. And she comes up short and um, she wanted all the answers then. And she had the 100 free, which she hadn't done for um, two years. Hadn't done a 100 free at that level since 2014, something like that. So um, she had the 100 free, she had the 50 free, and then we had the relay at at, at the end. And the relay was, if you think back, you know, the the whole thing was about when when I was thinking about the, Decision to go to Denmark and I always thought, well, this relay team, you know, I'll try and build the relay. That was Don, what Don had said, mm. you know, it's what Don did. That was his recommendation to me. It's something I enjoyed. Um, and, I, and I didn't want to get into the nitty gritty and of, of what I thought. And I didn't want to talk about that, getting upset. And I said, well, let, let's just go over everything at the end of the meet. So anyway, when she came in for the 100 free, same thing happened. She ran up the, the back of someone. Completely different reaction. Ah, we'll have to do that again, Shannon, you know. And um, anyway, swims a PB in the semi and breaks the national record and she came out and she, and she knew then. And she actually then t- told me I got too upset, didn't I, on the first day. So it would have been much better had that 100 free been on day one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. It's amazing the order of events, you know, like the 50 free with Penilla. If that had been on day – Penilla was sick. She'd been sick for a couple of days. She was still no good by day one. 50 frees at the end of the meet. You know, half the field in the final – I've had a, had a bad meet, you know. So really, by the time that fifty three comes about, it's almost it's a bit like um, it's a bit like Wimbledon. You you don't want it, too many hard big five setters in in the lead up mm. for that final, you know. So yeah, um, it, it's interesting when you look at it, at all all the stuff. But uh, um, and then the the breaststroke with with Rega, she was good in the hundred, but she was adamant FMOVA was going to be there. And I kept saying, She's not going to be there. Stop worrying about it, you know. Blah, blah, blah. She said, nah, she's got them in her back pocket. Anyway, and FMOVA turned up. And um, you know, I think from memory regular like 106 low in the heat, six four, and came back in a 34 mid and it looked really good. And um uh but then there was all of that booing and stuff that went on in that semi final. And the only person in that semi final with over that went faster was FMOVA. <laughs> all the girls that went sixes, they all went sevens. Um, and uh, and yeah. So anyway, I knew Reg was swimming well, but I, I was a bit, you know, I, I wanted to chat about that whole predicament. What, what had gone on, she didn't really want to talk about it. And um, so anyway, so um, a couple of days later, she had the turn of breaststrokes, swims the heat of the turn of breasts and looked unbelievable. Went 222 with a 28 stroke rate average, mm. just off the charts. And she started getting a little bit ahead of herself and, um, and it just never got any, you know, I think the pressure and all of that. And she went 22 again in the semi. And she went 22, I think, again in the final. Um, and each each swim got um, – the efficiency just got worse and worse, you know. And, and again, she's an efficiency swimmer, and that's her thing. And, you know, where over can rate up and other breaststrokers can do that, Regga's
1: not one of those. Yeah, she, she's got to do her thing. So – I'm interested before we get to it because I know we're not far away from obviously getting to the the good finish for the week and and the big result in the relay um, this is obviously at a like astronomically different level in terms of competition we, we know at a state level or a national level here in Australia a nationals can be such a long week with the riding of a waves of emotion. This sounds like that's very much the same for you there at the Olympics on a higher level and a higher scale, of course. How do you find it sort of balancing that? We know that you're about to have a really good finish to the week with um, Penel in the, in the 50 free and obviously the girls in the 4x1. You do, obviously don't know that's going to happen. You don't have a crystal ball. But as we know in coaching, as I said, you ride the wave of emotions, the good and the bad. How do you find it um, and, and how does it – you know, differ from say a, a, a nationals open nationals here in Australia. Obviously, the the pressure is is there, but is it similar in that way of trying to you sort of manage yourself through the week? Um, well, yeah, you've you've got to manage yourself w- whatever
0: the meet is. Um, I think for a a, a nationals meet um, or even a state meet, a big state meet uh, and a nationals meet. Just the amount of people that you're dealing with, you've got to, you've got to manage your energy. Um, you don't want the last three days of an eight-day nationals meet or a six-days national meet. You know, the last two days, you just, you just can't be bothered talking anymore. You have just mm. talked yourself out. So, whereas when you get international meet, it's obviously you haven't got those numbers. And I heard a good thing um, years ago. Um, at the British uh, British conference, Terry Dennison uh said, He's never in the penthouse and he's never in the shit house. He's just always in the middle. And um, uh, he referred to it as a, a building and stuff. And and I thought that was very good. And and that's what I've tried to try to do. You don't always get it right, but you try to do that. And but definitely in that team, I quickly, because um Mia Nielsen, she was uh, medal chance in the she was a medal chance in the 100 back and she I think she finished fifth or something like that um and you had you had uh, uh Janetta in the 100 fly you had Rega in the 200 breasts were all medal chances and then you had the relay and Penilla I, I, I don't think Panilla was in the top 10 I think she, maybe about 15th so so you had four chances and, and the media were really giving it to Nick <laughs> and Nick was reading all the media stuff. So he was up and down. And then you had the other coaches that were hadn't been to an Olympics before. Um, and I felt, well, I've got the most experience. I've got a lead by example. I've got a, you know, I'm not having the best of results mate, but I've got to be where Terry Dennison said, I've got to be. So I, I was I was using catchphrases like um it's not over to the fat lady sings you
2: know
0: <laughs> and every day I'd say this <gasps> and uh, anyway anyway um she sang on the last night <laughs> so yeah Denmark's got a population of like five million and I think their won- their best result in the Olympics was one medal and um. Ended up with two on the last night, and uh, you know, Panilla wins gold in, in that 53. And then that, you know, th- that itself, it was like, you know, oh, hang on a sec. In 20 minutes, you've got to do, you've got to anchor a relay, and we're a chance in that. Um, and she was just shocked. So, you, and then, and Stefan was like, but anyways, that was okay because, you know, he could celebrate because, you know, it was, I had the relay and, um, but you had to like people's heads, they just couldn't believe what was, what had happened and you had to get them to focus on what they needed to do, you know? So that was the challenge in that. So, um, and then, uh, yeah. So Nick, Nick went from the shit house to the penthouse (laughs) on the last night as national head coach. Um, and the girls won the bronze medal, um, 0.01 0.01 behind Australia for the silver. And it was funny, like, um, yeah, it, it, an amazing result when you, you think of it, 5 million. And if one of them had been sick, we we, 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 could, we didn't have anyone even to replace anybody. And if it was just amazing that each one of them was good at their best stroke was each stroke that they did. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, So Jeanetta wasn't a freestyler who you know, dabbled in fly or Penilla wasn't a flyer who could do free. We're just lucky that, you know, they had each one uh, of those strokes was their stroke. But I remember um, I got up to the grandstand late and as the meet goes on at an Olympics, the grandstands just get fuller and fuller. People have finished swimming and, and it's enjoying it and having a good time. But I, I remember um, I couldn't get down to the Danish team because um, it was just packed and I had to try and find a position. I was I'm going to start missing this, this race. And um, so I've just sort of parked myself somewhere. And as the race is going on, people are starting to chant for Denmark. So I think what happened was they didn't have their country there and And even there was even some of the ushers and stuff, the security and all that were going for Denmark. I think they just felt sorry for Denmark or they just thought, we're just going to go for the the little country, you know. Um, And the chanting for Denmark was just, I'm thinking, this is a lot of Danes in this (laughs) stand. But um, it was really good. It was fantastic, you know. Um, And the two girls, Rega and Janetta, we've got some photos. And of the four, interesting fact, you know, of the four girls, with the medal, if you look at any of the photos, there's two of them that have got tears in their eyes and, and it's Rega and Janetta, you know. So and it was just a great way to finish for them
1: um, both winning their first Olympic medals. Yeah, well, as we said, you know, it's a great way to finish for the girls. Did you ever think, uh, fast-forwarding to 2021, we know Penilla Bloom Gets another medal at another Olympics. You mentioned there in 2015, she's saying to people, "Listen, I'm I'm done. I'm out. I'm not doing it anymore." Did you ever think in 2021 that she'd be getting another medal at another Olympic Games? Um, yeah, and, and like and penilla like
0: she'd given it away when I started. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I you know she had, she she I mean, I, I wasn't there, but. I can only imagine she, she would have been huge and, and is huge uh, in Denmark as, as not just a swimmer, but as a sporting personality, you know, those smaller nations that they haven't got 20 people or 30 people who have won Olympic medals. So, um, and, and she continued to perform very well off the back of that mate. So I wasn't surprised that she, um, you know, if she's in a race, uh, she's, she's good enough to win a medal. And, 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 um, and, um, is just as long as, you know, she's had a decent prep, you know. So, um, Jeanetta was probably, you know, she, she went, you know, um, she went on to 2021, uh, for for her fifth Olympics. And that was probably more of a a surprise because, you know, you're getting to that, that
1: age where will I keep swimming or not? Mm. Um, And you sort of alluded to the fact you felt in 2016 that, that sort of pressure was getting there because she might have been thinking, you know, this is my last one. Oh, absolutely. And, and she was thinking about,
0: you know, she said, I'll give you six months or things. So <laughs> yeah. you know, that was back in 2013. So, um, you yeah, and to go to your fifth Olympics is is a great. Phenomenal. Yeah. And and, and she had a baby and and it was all that sort of stuff. So, um, So, yeah. But,
1: uh can't wait to get her on. I know we're going to have a chat to her at some stage on the podcast here and I can't wait to get her on, not only for five Olympic Games but, you know, being a mum as well and, and what that encompasses, being an elite athlete. I think it's nothing short of inspiring for, for you know, any athlete, male or female because of, you know, the, the work that goes into, you know, we're talking about being dads and, and coaches but, you know, being a mum and an, an Olympic athlete Mate, I, I'd love to pick her brain and, and see, you know, what's going on inside there because she's got a, an engine in that brain that I certainly don't have, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, to have, mate, just sort of tying all this into a bow, um, you, you can't help but look back and be proud of your own accomplishments as a coach going over there and, and watching the progression and, as you said, with a small population in in your time over there i'm not saying it's it's wholly and solely to do with yourself but it is the shannon rollison podcast so let's face it i'm i'm (laughs) I'm slowly just tying that in there but you know you're over there for for you know a good two and a bit years you're still you know close contact with them for for the next year and a half following into rio we have a great olympic games there Uh, but along the way a, a great ride with some world records some phenomenal performances Um, you know, I, and I've said this before in 2004 in in episode one, you know, was this your most proud moment, but the more I'm getting to know you and the more I'm knowing these stories, this has got to be right up there with a a pretty proud moment in itself with what you've been able to achieve there.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I I remember walking around in Rio, you know, sort of pinching myself, how did I, how did this happen? You know, um. I was unemployed, like less. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was waking up Months with no ago. bloody kids there in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so,
0: um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it was great. It was fourth Olympics, and but um, the thing about Denmark was I had fun. You know, I, I really enjoyed my my coaching. Um, and I think I've mentioned it in the past. You know, I don't. Re- I don't think I realised the pressure I I was under, um, and some of that pressure I put on myself as well uh, when I was at the AOS. And and um, it, it, it just you know, they were just great people, great great squad to work with. Um, as I said, keep in touch with them still to this day, um, and just yeah just enjoyed you know the the process okay. and at the end of the day as coaches we've got to enjoy the process you know we need it we need lots of things in our lives to be going well for us to be able to put you know the, the energy required to coach at a high level and um but yeah it's uh, the other thing you know to have coached, to coach in a different country requires different skill sets so that's another thing that I think um, um, someone said, you know, and, and is a challenge in itself to be able to coach successfully in different environments. So I certainly learned a lot, um, just not just as as a coach, but uh, also um, just as, as as a person living somewhere completely different. Um, you certainly know you're on your own, you know, you're a long way from home um, and, um, and, you know, you it's it's scary but exciting, but you know, I'd certainly I, I should probably do a, a, a to do and not to do list. Um, and uh, but I think it you know it's a it's a great way to um, professional development and all of those sorts of things. You know, you learn heaps. And unfortunately I think and I in Australia, it's not embraced enough, and and I'm not just talking uh, in the swimming community. I think I've I've spoke to a couple of people have asked me this question at AIS. Um, you know, they've said, "Oh, yeah, we was what, what what was the feeling like? You know, when you come back, you know, people, uh, embrace it." And that. I said, "Oh, not really." And anyway, and they have said the same thing. So I, I think as a nation that needs to change um, because you certainly come back with different ideas. You certainly come back with, with new thoughts. um, And, you know, we, we, we pay a lot of money for people from overseas to come when they do come to Australia, you know, and I'm not just talking about, you know, recently, but, you know, Gennady and, and, you know, but when an Australian goes over, why, why aren't we picking their brain when they come back you mm-hmm. know because, because it's, it's so evident when you when you you know as i've said in, in in the chat all of a sudden i could see what we were really good at which i didn't even really give the time of day until i went to another place and then thought wow don't we do that well because these people don't even think about it mm. so yeah things just smack you in the face so um i should have ah, oh, i won't say i should have but yeah, you know, I always think, you know, what if I had a gone earlier? Yeah, you know, what if I had a gone in two thousand and nine? Certainly would have been easier from a family point of view with younger kids.
1: Yeah, well, mate, I'm going to hold you to that to do list. I think when this episode comes out for all the listeners out there, I'll see if we can get Shannon to do like a. Are positives and negatives a certain uh, you know do's and don'ts if yeah. you will of of traveling and, and coaching I, I think it'd be great for the listeners who follow us on for, on instagram mate as you know the following just keeps on going up on instagram we started with zero they're like an 140 now or something i mean we're killing it we're, we're just on the up i don't understand um, instagram no i know you don't for all the listeners out there if anyone's wondering shannon is 917 cooper at 917 cooper that's shannon's instagram handle uh, he doesn't want to be known but that is his so uh yeah, for just anybody... said that <laughs> so yeah well hopefully we can try and get a you know a, a positives and negatives I might be therapeutic for you anyway mate, to go back and and write it but i, I think it'll be beneficial Uh, to all the listeners out there mate and to as I said to tie it in a bow I've got two more questions for you and 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 I want to land back on this one because obviously I'm a family man you're a family man and as I said it's really important I think to have these conversations we can't do what we do without support as you said and without you know our partners and our family supporting our goals and our dreams whilst at times let's be honest sacrificing their own how important was this time in your life um, that you had that great support from your wife and, and your family, even, you know, obviously you're over there, you come back, but even, you know, for, for else to go, what are you going back over for how long? All right, go on then. You know, like in 2016, mm. h- how important is that? And, and, you know, for all the listeners out there for their own coaching careers, how important is it to make sure, you know, that home life is nice and stable and you're communicating well to make sure it is well balanced.
0: Yeah, it's, it's um well, you, you just you can't do it without that support. And if you if you're not going to get that support, you're probably going to end up with a broken marriage, aren't you? You know, mm, mm. you have a broken marriage and have kids and all that. Everything everything just gets harder. So she, she's just fantastic. She's always been fantastic. Um, you know, right from the get-go, she, she's into it. She, she loves the, the whole swimming thing. Um, but I, I think one of the things is I don't put my hand up for everything and I never have. Um, and I've said no to things which, um, you know, probably to the detriment, but she knows that I'm not itching to get out of the door. Uh, and i have to if i'm going to do something then there's a reason behind it so i think that's always helped me um and um yeah so and i've just been lucky really you know that that i've got a wife that's that's just so supporting you know um and, and she's adventurous she wants to see the world and stuff like that so that was a great thing you know um and, and that was and like i think i said earlier you know that was
1: part of you know making the decision to go overseas so well mate absolutely she's an absolute legend i'm getting to know her through this podcast as well with our chats off air and and hearing her insight into things as well so You're pushing me <laughs> yeah mate i'm loving it i'm loving it i'm <laughs> absolutely because it's it's good to know it's happening on someone else's side as well and not just in my own home oh. um mate, my last question uh is about traveling about learning for coaches how important is it to not think we've got all the answers even if it is just domestically new south wales coaches you know venturing up to queensland to learn from them to to come back queensland coaches venturing around you know whatever i'm obviously i've only been to two so that's why i'm mentioning that but we have a lot of other states as well but you know venturing into into other countries as you said um, maybe at a, a top level at times that, you know, those knowledges aren't probably acknowledged as much as they could be or, or should be in terms of helping us move into the future in Australian swimming. But, you know, independently for ourselves as coaches, um, how much would you encourage people getting out of their comfort zones and, and learning new things? Oh, look, um,
0: I think if you want to be successful, you've, you've got to, you know, I, I don't always want to get out of my comfort zone, um, and, but, you know, and I think we're all like that to a degree, um, but I quickly I quickly worked out when I was younger going to a few of those ASCA conferences in, in the 90s that uh, I was coming out more confused than I went going in, so I just stopped <laughs> going. And I worked out that I just learned better on the road or on the move by – you know, talk, you know, talking to Dennis um, or talking to Bowley or talking to Scott Volkers back in the 90s and stuff and, you know, Eddie Reese in 2003 at the World Champs. Um, yeah, I, that's just how I absorb information and, uh, and learn best. So I think you've got to work out that. And then if, if you're one of those guys, um, all, all female coaches like me, then you've got to get yourself into those um, situations where you can learn. And then I think also, too, the information is coming at a rate, it's a bit more tangible. It means something because you, well, this is what I do. I've got a problem, and I go and sort out, well, okay, who could I talk to about this? And then that's what I do. So, yeah. Uh, and then you just see things. It's just new, isn't it? So, it's fantastic it, it, like i said it's it's not encouraged i don't think that much in australia and i think it needs to that that needs to change mm. um w- whether it can or not who knows
1: mm. well mate I, I think you're a pioneer in that way and and you know not that my uh, opinion means much because this is a shannon rollison podcast and let's face <laughs> it you've done a shitload more than i've done but my, my advice would be along the same lines as what you said but not waiting for the governing bodies to to make these things happen go and do it yourself just get out there and make it happen if if you want to learn things more if you want to create your own little performance hub with all these other coaches you can do it i you know i don't want to i'm living proof that if you want to do something you can i would not imagine for a million years mate when i was you know 10 years ago i'd sit down and talk to shannon rollison about things like this or have the opportunity to sit down with susie o'neill or adam peaty and uh i just got jack of things not happening i thought i'm going to do this myself so my my advice uh, along the same lines as you but not to wait you know create your own sort of environment that you want to create um and i think in the end as you you know with people people end up following you not that you did it for that reason but you know look at reverse periodization (laughs) your name's still synonymous with that you didn't set out for that originally you just went I'm going to say, I want to try something different here and, and I'm going to sort of go in my own direction. Next minute, you've got, a, you've got a line behind you going, hey, Shannon, where are you going?
0: Yeah, it's funny too, like, I was just I used to say this to the athletes, like you've got to be ready more often than you're not. If you, if you want to, you know, and that way you're stacking the odds in your favour. To, to win medals, whichever those meets are. You know, these people, oh, I'll train really hard in the Olympic year. And it's the same in coaches. Oh, I'll, I'll coach really, I'll, I'll step up my game when I get a good athlete. Mm. Now, you've got to be cutting your teeth. You've got to be pushing all the time. And, and the good athlete can be right underneath your nose and you just don't know. You don't know what that 13 year olds going to turn out like when they're 17 or 20 or, you know. So you've got to be constantly working on yourself for the time so that you're ready when that athlete comes along or that athlete's already in your program and then decides one day i want to be like them i'm I'm going to start working hard i want to go to paris or i want to go to la you know so that that's you know don't think that you're always in control or you're the puppet master,
1: mm. <laughs> you know? So yeah, that's my advice. Mate, great advice and a great way to wrap up today's show. Thank you very much, mate. I'm so glad we did it. I'm so glad we did get a chance to go through your time in Denmark because as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, you know, I know everyone or well, a lot of the, you know, the smart marks of swimming here in Australia know and around the world know that you went to Denmark, but I'm sure a lot of the, um, you know, other coaches like myself, I knew you went there, but it wasn't until I did my research that I, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it. i got, you know, so much more of an appreciation for, for what you actually achieved over there. And hopefully from people listening to this podcast, uh, they they leave with, with that same sentiments as well. Um, you absolutely proved um, once again that, you know, you're one of the sharpest minds in the business. Are um, you one of the best man managers in the business? Um, and I know you're never going to say this, so that's why I'm saying it for you, mate, but <laughs> mate, you're, you're absolutely one of the best. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast with you. And that's why, uh, I'm thrilled that we got to go through uh, your time in Denmark. And I know that's not all for the Denmark chat. We're definitely going to get, as I said, some of the swimmers that you're able to, to work with over there on the podcast for a chat, uh, for anyone listening, you would have heard some of their, you know, amazing swims at the beginning of the podcast in that opener that we've got, um. So, yeah, mate, looking forward to that. Thank you very much for, for spending that time with me today going through that and looking forward to next week, mate. Obviously, we, we've got Alan Thompson coming on, um, a man who I don't think we've ha- ever heard a podcast or any sort of interview from, from Tomo in, in, oh, I don't know, since when. I know he's done a couple of conferences here or there, but we haven't heard from him for such a long time. So, I mean, I'm very much looking forward to having him on. What about yourself? Yeah, yeah, it's um, Tomo
0: and I go way back, like uh, uh, nineteen ninety seven. Pam um, Pampax, he was the manager, and um, I was yeah young coach on the team. He used to get me to go and get the ice cream for the coaches. <laughs> I was the ice cream boy. <laughs> so, uh, and then you know we, we worked. Yeah, we we're on teams. We we were both on Athens as as coaches, Tomo's got some great, you know, he was a manager on the Australian team. Then he was a coach uh, in his own right on the deck, you know, four, and then he he was head coach from 5 you know, and uh, open water three, I think 99, 2001, 2002, Mm. open water uh, coach of the
1: year, a guy with a lot of experience. Well, look, full disclosure, he was my uh, uh, swim coach and and the man who got me into coaching. So uh, I've got a little bit of bias there for wanting to have him on as well, but I know he's got a great uh, relationship with you as well. And um, funny story about uh, Tomo, not so much, you know, involved in me and him, but I remember in the 2000 ticker-take parade, um, you know the, the swimmers were getting you know the, the, oh, they're sitting on the back of the cars going through the middle of Sydney and and there's Tomo walking next to one of the cars and, and obviously you know he cuts a big strong figure like if he walks into a room, let's be honest, everyone goes, oh shit all right we're not messing with this guy. everyone just <laughs> sort of backs it off and anyway, I just remember one of the people on TV going and they're you know s- supplied by their, their security walking next to them and I thought <laughs> well. You're not far wrong. I know he's the team manager, but if anything went wrong, he'd definitely be pulling people into line. That's for sure. Security. Oh, there you go. He's security as well. Oh yeah, mate. He can pull people into line without even uh, uttering any words. I've, I've not seen many people do it, but he is one. So I'm looking forward to having him on mate, but uh, until next week, Shannon, thanks for coming on and sharing some great stories again, mate. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Um, you know, I do so many podcasts, mate, but, um, this is one i don't get tired of or i don't you know get bored of i don't not look forward to it actually uh get excited ready to to sit down i've got my pen and paper i don't know if you noticed but i've been writing some notes as i go through so doing my own uh, professional development i i was i, was think, uh, I thought you were just
0: coming up with new questions <laughs>
1: <laughs> no no i'm taking notes whilst also having a couple of sips of my uh, can of wild turkey as well so multitasking uh mate thank you very much to all the listeners out there make sure you join us again next week as we said uh, our special guest uh, will be none other than former australian head coach mr alan thompson but until then have a great weekend and we'll see you next time see everyone thanks
2: Outro